Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Kevin, you didn't get your official sign out there. That's yeah, all good. It's that's all, radio. It, it, it happens. It, it, it is right. If that's I got the, called Tony Wells earlier this morning again by uh, Steve. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> so we're two for two today. <laughs> well, well, I I don't know about that, but the, the last thing, if, trust me, if that's the worst thing that happens over the course of the next three hours, we're we're doing okay. <laughs> now, actually, we, you know, we were talking off the air before your newscast, and you um, raised an interesting point. We were talking about what you were going to do later on today. You said, literally. See, literally is a term that is occasionally uh, over or incorrectly used. But you said literally Christmas is one week away, and you are absolutely right. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I woke up this morning and realized half of my holiday gift list is yet to be filled out. So I'm headed straight to the mall after this to finish up the holiday shopping and um, got to get it going. Got to get wrapping, too. You are a brave man. Oh, well, here's here's like the little Wagner family story about that. Of course, this is a surprise to nobody. My wife, Fran, takes care of like everything. I just kind of like stay out of the way. And um, she comes up to me today and says, I just realized that Christmas is next Friday, not next Saturday. And I said, well, well, yeah, why did you think that? She said, well, a couple of weeks ago, her daughter, Jenny, said, well, Christmas is on Saturday. And so my wife just had it in her mind that Christmas was going to be on Saturday until she heard me saying, well, gee, I'm off on Wednesday. I've got, I'm, I'm, my last day is Wednesday. That means I've got off Christmas Eve. And she thought I was incorrectly thinking Christmas Eve was Thursday. No, for people who might be confused, Christmas, a week from today, next Friday. It's crazy, isn't it? Doesn't seem possible. Time, time flies. It, it does. But I tell you, the the good news weather-wise, first of all, it doesn't look like we're going to have any major snowstorms between now and then. In addition, one of the dates that I always mark off in the calendar, and I, I never like to be this guy that wishes time away, but December 21st, so you know, coming up in, in just a couple days, that is the the winter solstice. And what that means is... After December 21st, the daylight hours start increasing. The days start, the daylight hours start getting longer. So, you know, we're, for people like me who hate it when it's dark at 4 o'clock or 4.15 or whatever it is, it starts to turn around coming next week. Yeah, it'll be kind of nice, too, for, you know, a lot of people, too, that get to work early in the morning, and then they leave, they don't even see the sunlight at this time <laughs> of the year, and I'm I'm kind of in that boat, too. Sometimes I'll be in my apartment working from home, and then I, I head here late at night to do my night shift. I leave at midnight, and it's dark, and I don't even see the sun, so it'll be nice to there have you some go. sunshine. Well, you have a great weekend, Tony. Kevin, I know. <laughs> I was going to say. You, too, and uh, Merry Christmas to you, Jeff. Merry Christmas, as well, if we don't see each other before that. All right, let, let us let us get started. And as I was saying with it, the transition, today's show is going to be a little bit different. We've got some serious and tough topics, um, but we've also got a lot of lighter ones. And that's actually going to be the, the trend as we move into the next week. It's Christmas week. I, I know sometimes radio listening is a little bit off, but um, or at least it's, it's different because people are taking a bunch of time off and all. So we're going to try to sort of ease you into your holidays as well. I want to start off, though, with the story of David Elliott Working, 40-year-old guy who lives in Grand, or at least at one point in time, lived in Grand Haven, Michigan. Grand Haven is eh, about 15 miles from Grand Rapids, if you want to figure this out. Well, here is the deal. I, David Elliott Working, well, over the years, he has had 
I think it would be fair to say, a problem with pornography. Uh, apparently, according to his father, he was kicked out, This is the, the younger working, was kicked out of Indiana's Wesleyan University as a freshman after being caught distributing pornography, according to his, his father. All right, so the, the, the guy's... He's into pornography, and apparently it, it has caused some issues in his life. Well, here is the deal. Um, back in uh, 2016-ish, what happened is he moves in with his parents because he'd been going through a divorce, so he had nowhere to live. So his parents take him in. So he moves in with his parents. He doesn't pay rent. So he, he's moved back in at the age of 38 or 39 or 40 or whatever this is, doesn't pay rent, but um, he does do some household chores. All right, so that, that's the deal. All right, um, he lives with his parents for a while, and then ultimately he moves out of his parents' house the way it's termed is at the request of local law enforcement in August of 2017. Don't know what exactly that would mean. I think it's probably like the parents want him out. He doesn't want to go, so they have to get the cops involved. But in any event, he moves out of the house in August of 2017. When he moves out of the house, he leaves a bunch of stuff behind. A couple months later, he asks for the stuff he has left back. Among the possessions that he left at his parents' home included 12 moving boxes, 12 moving boxes full of pornography, plus two boxes of what are described in the court filings as sex toys. The mind reels backwards. Okay, so the guy's got all this porn and associated stuff at mom and dad's house, and it's been there. Okay, so what happens is mom and dad go and they find all this stuff. And unwilling to transport the pornographic material to his new place in Muncie, Indiana. I'm sure people in Muncie are popping their buttons that this guy's living there. And uncomfortable with the material in their home, mom and dad destroy the DVDs, the VHS tapes, and a variety of other belongings. So they, they, they trash this all. They refuse to give it back to the, the kid. Um, the kid then goes and files a police report on his parents um, relating to the destruction of the property. They destroyed my stuff. They burned my porn. Um, The prosecutor's office declines to get involved in this. Um, Then there's an email exchange back and forth between dad and the son. Dad says, look, you've had issues with this kind of stuff in the past, and it's kind of, you know, screwed you up. Frankly, David, I did you a big favor by getting rid of all this stuff for you, to which the kid responds, Dad, your problem is that essentially you're too uptight. Here's all this. Here's these different websites that you can go to and watch porn. Now, I I take a pause there because whenever I, I when I was thinking about this story, again, I'm my, my dad passed away five, six years ago. I'm I'm picturing my father 
and I'm trying to imagine having this exchange with my father. And I just kind of think about that. You know, you, you, you've got a whole bunch of pornography stored at your folks' house. They find it. They toss it out. And, and then you're in an argument about why they, they won't give it back. And, Dad, you really need to lighten up and, and watch a little bit more porn, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all right. Long story short, the stuff is gone. The parents have not just not returned it. The parents have destroyed it. The kid then goes to federal court and files a lawsuit saying, I, I, I'm entitled to damages. Um, the porn, including some like, like vintage porn, I don't know what makes it vintage as opposed to, you know, what makes it just run of the mill porn. He claims the value is worth 20, it's up to $25,000 to replace the pornography and replace all the other things that were, um, destroyed. Case goes to federal court. Earlier this week, a federal judge, Judge Paul Maloney, issues a ruling in favor of the kid. In favor of the kid. Says that mom and dad had no right to destroy this property that they had left, that the kid had left in the house. And he says, well, I mean... If you're a landlord and you find belongings that a tenant had left in the house, you know, you don't have the right to just destroy all those things. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Your reaction to this, and again, I'm trying to picture this thing. I guess I don't think of the kid, where I think the judge is wrong, is I don't think of the kid as being a tenant. This isn't like, okay, somebody moves out and they leave some stuff behind and they ask it to be sent to them. This The, the kid didn't have a lease. The kid wasn't paying rent. I can't say kid. He's 40 years old. He was doing chores um, in order to stay. To me, this is mom and dad allowing their child to stay at their house. And mom and dad obviously didn't approve of the stuff that was left behind, and they got rid of it. The federal judge says mom and dad owe the kid thousands and thousands of dollars for destroying his porn. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did the federal judge get it right? We discuss in a minute. There are so many interesting aspects of this story to me. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is the story about the guy who, at the age of 40, now he's 42, he filed the lawsuit last year. It was just decided this week. Guy goes through a divorce, moves back in with mom and dad. He's not paying rent, and he has an enormous collection of pornography um, that he values at being worth more than $25,000. Again, the mind kind of reels backward at this sort of story. He moves out um, at the request, I think, of mom and dad and local law enforcement, leaves all the porn behind, along with other stuff. Months later, he asked the stuff to be shipped to him. Mom and dad discover that it is porn. They think their kid is ruining his life. They destroy it. He sues mom and dad. And um, just recently, federal court judge said, yep, mom and dad shouldn't have destroyed their child's pornography. They are going to owe him money. We'll figure that out later on. But it could be tens of thousands of dollars. First issue, of course, is why would you bring a lawsuit in, in this? And this has always been the story here because... 
for forevermore, and maybe he doesn't care, but this David working, you know, when, whenever anybody looks up his name, he is now going to be guy, the guy that is permanently identified with suing mom and dad over... I don't know, his pornography collection. Who sues mom and dad over that? Secondly, I guess, I, and it is sort of the precedent that, that this ends up setting. Mom and dad are kind enough to allow the kid, when he's down on the luck after a divorce, go figure, you know, his marriage blew up, um, to move back in. He stashes a whole bunch of pornography at their house that he does not take with him when he leaves. They find it, they destroy it, and now he wants compensation for it. Um, 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, the guy sounds like a loser. Well, I think that's it. Um, but it is his stuff. Well, okay, I, it, I guess it, it is his stuff. The question becomes, if you have a, for example, if, if you were living with mom and dad and you move out and they decide that they're going to clean out your room and they're going to toss your comic books away and things like that, can you sue them for that? Jeff, the stuff was his, even if they didn't like it. Well, yeah, the stuff was his, but he left it behind. Jeff, he's divorced. That's a shocking story. Yes, it is. Um, Jeff, what if it was a bunch of jewelry or a bag of cash valued at $25,000? The parents would be on the hook. So why not if it's collectible porn? Well, I don't know if the parents would be on the hook. That's the question, If especially given the parental relationship. This, to me, is not your typical landlord-tenant sort of thing. Um, Jeff... Um, two things. This is from Lou in West Dallas. I think this inspires every kook to file stupid lawsuits. And can I sue my 89-year-old mom for tossing out my Suzanne Summers Playboy she found under my mattress in 1979? Well, that's kind of an interesting question as well. Jeff, shipping porn to him could have been illegal. That's one of the things the father said. The father said, hey, there's some of this stuff in here. I, I don't think... I and I guess there's some questions because it's gone as to whether all the stuff was legal or not. But the father, that was his point. He says, "Look, some of this stuff, I I just I looked to me like it might have been kitty porn or something." The guy says, "No, no, no, it was none of that." But the father, he says, "I'm I don't want to ship this stuff. I mean, you don't need it." Um, Jeff, I believe the federal judge is way off. There is a thing called abandoned property, and there's actually no requirement for a landlord to hang on to the property. If that was the judge's ruling, he's way off base because it appears the son moved out and abandoned his things. My understanding is the judge has not yet ruled on the dollar amount. No, he hasn't ruled on the dollar amount yet. 855-616-1620. But again, this is the kind of deal where no good deed goes unpunished. Now, I don't know. If the kid thinks he's going to get paid by the parents making an insurance claim, I take no position on whether their homeowner's insurance would cover it. But I'm just thinking, if I move in with my parents, they let me live there, they would have let me live at my house rent-free, and then I move out and leave a whole bunch of pornography, I wouldn't have had the guts to ask my mom and dad to send it back, much less to sue them. Let's talk to Kathy and Franklin. Kathy, you're on WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Kathy. <laughs> and happy holidays. Same to you. I think. <laughs> okay. Um, my, my, my thinking is that this man was living with his parents rent-free. Yes, he was doing chores. So where's the equity? Are the parents going to be reimbursed for all the time he was living with them? 
Uh, and the answer would be no. Uh, right, right. It's, yeah, and that's, see, I guess that's, it's a parent-son thing. It's not like a landlord-tenant. It's not like it's an arm's-length right. transaction. You're paying rent, and you say to the landlord, hey, I, I'm moving out. Can I leave a couple boxes here? Will you hold them for 90 days? That, that's, that's not what happens here. He's, he's not, to me, a tenant. He's, he's their a kid. Child. Yeah, he's their right. But now he's made it into a tenant. So if he if he's making it like that, then why not? I would go back after him and say, okay, you owe us twenty five thousand dollars or twenty five hundred thousand, whatever, in rent. Right. For yeah. A couple of years you lived with us. Right. Or yeah, I guess. I mean, I can you imagine? Can you imagine suing your parents for something like this? I guess. The, oh gosh. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, that's the other thing that, that strikes me, Kathy, is people have no sense. of of shame that that's the i mean that's who would want again your name associated with this lawsuit and this, this outcome oh whenever you apply for your job oh you're well I'm, let me google your name why does that sound familiar oh yeah you're the guy with the big collection of pornography who sued his parents who wants to be that guy well obviously he needs some attention <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and that's how he's going to get it right no thanks Nicole. well and, and actually and that's what what the father says in the emails the father says yeah we we tossed this out he says kid and again kid that he's 38 or 40 he's now 42 he's 40 when all this is going on he said look th- this your fixation with pornography has been screwing up your life. Now I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but you know, you're you, you move back in with us because you're divorced and you don't have any money and you don't have any other place to stay. You know, you've got this massive trove of pornography. Um, remember, you got kicked out of college because of this. Don't you think that you know maybe what there. <laughs> Maybe, maybe you know, after getting divorced and after not having a place to live and after all this stuff, maybe you shouldn't give pornography one more chance. I mean, maybe you should just understand, hey, issues that are here. But a federal judge has now said, hey, you're going to be entitled to some compensation. It will, I guess, the question is, you know, how much are the parents going to be ordered to pay? And, you know, what is the guy going to do to try to collect? You're going to attach their retirement accounts? Are you going to try to, uh, I don't know, put a lien on the home? Who does this to their parents? Oh, yeah, a porn-obsessed loser. Merry Christmas, Mom and Dad. Back with more in just a minute. So very glad to have you with us. I'm not bearing the lead on this one. Please, please, please don't do it. I don't want to watch it. Make it stop. All right. President Trump will be leaving the White House on January 20th. I understand some people don't like that, but that this is the reality of what is going to happen. Now, interestingly, when President Trump leaves, he has a, a universe of choices that are out there. A lot of people are play, painting a, a kind of bleak fortune for him, for future for him. Well, you know, he's got all these financial problems and Mar-a-Lago, the residents down there, they don't want him to be able to move in and they're going to be filing legal lawsuits to stop him from being able to live at the, this at the club in in Florida and the New York state attorney general is looking at him and the family and and you know some of the the hotel properties aren't worth what they were and so they're they're trying to paint a, a sort of bleak portrait uh, the, the truth is I mean I think President Trump is going to do just fine for example New York Times reporting today that um, you know even since the election he has been able to raise two hundred and fifty million dollars from supporters. More than $60 million of that sum has gone to a new political action committee, which Mr. Trump will control after he leaves offices. Um, He could use the money to 
I don't know, try to exert control over the Republican Party, reward loyalists, fund his travels, fund rallies, hire staff, and even lay the groundwork for another run. So he's got a a ton of money that's out there for a political future. But nevertheless, he's got to decide what he wants to do with with his life. That's always the decision that's out there. Do you want to... What, what do you do as a, as a, as a former president? I mean, do you, do you write your book? I mean, most of them do. Barack Obama just got done with his book and that just came out. So do you write your book? It's tough to kind of see, you know, Donald Trump closeting himself in, in an office for months and months and months and looking through records. But, you know, maybe he'll, he'll end up doing that. You know, do you try to go back into business? Well, okay. That maybe the brand is tarnished. Well, apparently one of the things, and I have in my hand the story, that the president is considering doing is restarting the TV show, The Apprentice. Now, for those of you who might have forgotten, the thing that I I think really, in, in 2004, that really catapulted Donald Trump back into the the limelight. Now, Donald Trump has always been there as a business developer and things like that. But I think it would be fair to say that, you know, after the heyday of the 80s, he was sort of like a B or a C list celebrity. And then what really revived his career from a a perspective of of public awareness was the TV show The Apprentice. Um, it, It debuted in 2004 and ran uh, across 15 seasons from 2004 to 2017. Now, some of it was The Apprentice, which is where there were non-celebrities. Some of it was The Celebrity Apprentice. But yeah, I think you know everybody's familiar with the thing. Bunch of people competing in The Apprentice. It was wh- whoever whoever ended up making it through the elimination process, you know, got a job with the Trump organization. In the case of, like, the Celebrity Apprentice, it was celebrities, a lot of times B and C-list celebrities themselves, who were competing for charities and things like that. But it positioned Donald Trump. He was the guy in the boardroom who came in and, you know, listened to, you know, why things went right or why things went wrong. And then his catchphrase was, you know, you're fired. So it, it was it was a huge success, at least at first. I think in fairness, as happens a lot of times to these things, first year was big, second year was not as big, but still did fine, and then the, the ratings started declining and started declining precipitously, which is why they rebooted it as the Celebrity Apprentice. And and but I mean, look, the, the show was on for what like parts of fifteen years, so there, there's no question that people had an appetite for it. So President Trump is now apparently, according to the stories I'm looking at, floating the idea of reviving that. What do you think about the the apprentice? He made a ton of money. Apparently, uh, they say that he he was he profited to the tune of about two hundred million dollars over sixteen years from the apprentice, and they say he was able to generate about two hundred and thirty million dollars additionally from fame the franchise generated. You know, I mean, like, oh, okay, this is Donald Trump, and now we want to go to Trump University or, or whatever. So he's apparently at least thinking about rebooting the apprentice. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a simple question. Would this show be a success if you were to bring it back in some some form, whether celebrity or otherwise, with Donald Trump back in the boardroom? Could you restart this? Would it be a success? 
would people watch? Would you watch? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For me, I, I think the ship has sailed. I think that there's all sorts of avenues that President Trump will use to keep himself in the public eye, but trying to go back and say, hey, you know, 2004, we're, we're back and we're trying to recreate the magic we had there, I think that's doomed. What do you think? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss. 855-616-1620. All right. Uh, President Trump trying to figure out what he's going to do moving forward. Story out there. I mean, the thing that, that really revived his public career was, and, and I think was the springboard for his election to office, was the, the, the TV show, the reality, t- and I say reality in quotation marks, the, the Apprentice and then the Celebrity Apprentice. And the story I'm looking at, apparently President Trump is bringing that up. He's asking some of his allies, would you like to see The Apprentice come back? Remember The Apprentice? One of, uh, and the story I'm looking at quotes one of the friends as saying, I think an apprentice, celebrity apprentice revival would be a humongous hit. The iteration would be ratings gold for whoever is fortunate enough to get the reboot. Would it? 855-616-1620. I'm a little bit skeptical. Susan in Gray's Lake. Susan, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Susan. Um, so I have, a, I have a spin for you. I heard a gentleman on cable last night making the comment that, Right now, Trump might be less about the you're fired concept and more about I'm going to pressure you until you resign, <laughs> a, la, a la William Barr and cabinet. So what about this concept? We have the apprentice. He hires all the candidates in the first episode. And then it's just a matter of seeing how many of them can take it during sort of a pressured process of weeks. And who's standing at the end? Sort of like a boot camp, I, kind of like, like sort of like sort of like a boot camp. Okay, here we're you know we yeah. we want to get you through this, but we're going to be dumping people. Do you think people would watch? C- can you go back to that? Uh, well, yeah, I'm going to say I'm going to say yes, but I'm skeptical if the numbers would be as high as they yeah. were previously. Well, you know, yeah. I'm thinking maybe viewership down. My thought. No, no well, thanks, Susan. I think you're. I mean, see, and that's that's what. But then look, that that's what always happened. This isn't a knock on the Apprentice. So you you saw that. For example, the other Mark Burnett show, Mark Burnett's the guy that produced Survivor. Remember years and years ago when Survivor first came onto the scene, it was a huge hit. Now, Survivor, you, you, you can't sustain those kind of numbers. And, and Survivor was actually kind of the, the lead in to all the different other reality shows that, that ended up happening. You know, the Survivor, Survivor's still on the air. I, I don't watch it, but I know people still do. And it doesn't do the numbers it did 15 years ago, but it, it's had a great deal of longevity. You know, uh, and of course, course the the apprentice kind of tied into that whole thing this the the question though is and this is what people miss is that that things move on you know it's just television in particular goes it it is secular uh and and by that i mean what what happens is everything that's old is new again you you have the years and years when i was a kid growing up you had the amateur hour and things like that and then those kind of entertainment contests find the great star those go away and then you have american idol that comes out the first time around and american idol all of a sudden it's just hot and then everybody else has to find we got to do our own american idol show and then you've got you know 15 different variations of american idol and then people get bored with it and it and it fades and that's kind of the game shows are the same thing you know 
game shows were really hot for a while and then they faded. And then, you know, years ago, ABC brought back Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And it was a success. And then all these other networks had their own variations of game shows. And then people got tired of them and they moved on. And now they're trying to bring back game shows. I, I, I just don't know that you can go back to the well with, with Donald Trump. And, you know, can you find an interest? Would, would the first week of the show be watched? Yeah, the first week would, would definitely be watched by all sorts of people. After that, I don't know. Jeff, I would, let's go some text. Jeff, I would probably watch it once or twice just in relief that he is not the leader of the free world anymore. Jeff, I don't think it's a bad idea. Question, do you think his ratings will be the same or less because of the political affiliation now? See, I would argue it's, I would argue that it would be less. Um, but again, people, the first few shows, people are going to tune in. And and they're going to tune in because they want to, if you support President Trump, you want to see him. If you don't support President Trump, you want to watch it and you want to make fun of it. That that That's that's it. So the first few weeks would be huge. After that, would it have staying power? I don't know. Jeff, the difference here is that he has sort of a huge cult following, and I believe everybody would tune in. Huh. All right, Jeff, um, I think this would be sort of like the Titanic. Um, Jeff, uh, Trump is so hated in the Hollywood media, I don't see how he could get any contestants or support from the networks. Well, you got to understand, when, when it comes to networks, networks care about one thing, and that is money. And if a producer is out there that can convince some network somewhere, and keep in mind, it doesn't have to be NBC. It doesn't have to be ABC. It doesn't have to be CBS. You know, you've got a a universe of networks that are out there on cable. Um, All you have to do is convince one of these networks that, hey, you bring back the apprentice. You commit to pay you know, Donald Trump, whatever he thinks he's worth. And, you know, if that network thinks that they can make money on it, well, then then you do it. Um, Jeff, can you imagine The Apprentice with contestants like Michael Flynn, Roger Stone, Jeff Sessions, etc.? Well, there is that possibility, possible thing. Um, uh, let's see here. Um, Jeff, I think uh, it would flop. He's ruined his reputation um, as president. People don't want him around. Well, okay, what you have to understand, though, I appreciate that thought, but over 70 million people voted for Donald Trump, and um, there are millions of people out there who believe believe that the election was, in fact, stolen. So I think some of those people would tune in, at least for the first couple shows. Jeff, I'm sure there would be an audience, but it would not include me. There's potential success if he can resist using it as a platform for saying unfair how unfair the election has been. It seems though like it's a gamble going back to an original gambler, going back to the original slot machine where he won money, expecting it to pay off again. I think it would be unlikely. Yeah, I think that's kind of it. Jeff, seventy million people might watch. Those who never did probably won't start. Yes, Jeff, I love the show. How fun would it be in the current environment? They could have a bunch of liberal reporters on as contestants. Well, you could kind of um, tweak the, uh, tweak this. Jeff, I think he should start his own news station. Yeah. I If you were asking me what the, the media-related future for President Trump is most likely to be, I don't think it's a reboot of The Apprentice. I, I don't think you can go back... Uh, again in time it's it's not 2004 anymore i mean i do think it's entirely possible that you could see president trump 
aligning himself with one of the media sites. Now, I've always said this before. People think, oh, there's going to be a Donald Trump daily radio show and all. I I don't think that's the case. And and the best way I can explain it is it's a lot of work to do a daily radio show. I I understand people think that you just show up and you open the microphone and you chat with people for three hours a day. And maybe that's how some people do it. But that's not how that's not how the hosts that that succeed over a long period of time do it. And and it it is. Look, it's it's a job. It's a great job, but it's a job. You know, three hours a day, you are committed to being in a certain spot. I don't see, I don't see President Trump. I'm going to say having the discipline or wanting to exert the discipline to put himself in in that situation. So, you know, could I see a, a Trump related news channel somewhere? And could I see it maybe featuring President Trump? You know, a couple times a week or a couple times a month. Sure, daily shows don't think so. I don't think The Apprentice is coming back, but if you believe some of the stories that are out there, President Trump is at least considering it. And, of course, you know, if in your heyday you had a show that allowed you to make, well, what, a couple hundred million dollars directly and a couple hundred million dollars indirectly, and you thought that you could reboot that franchise, eh, well, I mean, I understand why it might be tempting. Don't think it's going to happen, though. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner, so very glad to have you with us. This time of year wouldn't be the same without the WTMJ Holiday Show. So even though because of the pandemic we can't perform live in front of everyone this year, we're still keeping the tradition alive. Tune in this Sunday at 1 o'clock to see Gene, actually to hear Gene Miller and the WTMJ players performing a COVID Christmas carol. WTMJ's holiday radio show sponsored by Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland and Professional Construction. All right, sometime before the end of the show, we're probably going to talk about these proposals that are out there about now that the vaccines are coming out, who should get the vaccine first, who should get the vaccine last. There is a national commission which released a report Monday. Uh, It is... (laughs) It is the National Commission on COVID-19 and Criminal Justice, whose members include uh, Loretta Lynch, who was the attorney general under Barack Obama or one of the attorney generals under Barack Obama. The group has made its recommendations as to who it thinks should get the, the vaccines first, understanding that vaccines are, are potentially life-saving, will, will stop people from getting sick, things like that. Included in their lists... They say that, okay, here's who we think should get priority. We think prison guards should get priority. They're essential workers in a situation and in facilities that, you know, it's likely the disease could spread. Okay, I get that. They also recommend that prison inmates should go to the top of the list in getting vaccinations. Okay, let's see. You've got a 65-year-old tax-paying citizen with some health implications. Huh, do we vaccinate that person first, or do we find the guy that's doing 20 years to life for, you know, carjacking and sexual assault? Hmm, let's balance this out. Who should get the vaccine first? This commission says, well, we think it should go to the inmates. <laughs> yeah. Okay, just when you think the world couldn't get crazier, you get stuff like this. When we come back, we often talk about the best things around the holiday season, the best this, the best that. I want to talk about the worst. I will explain. We will discuss. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. You know, we um, we talk a lot about bests, you know, the, 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 the best this, the best that, the best place to go for a fish fry, the, the best movie, the best TV show, the best sports team ever. Um we don't talk a lot about the worst, <laughs> you know, and and of course, this this is the Christmas time. You know, and if if you turn on the television, if you turn on Hallmark or Lifetime or any of one of a number of channels, you're seeing one Christmas movie after another. And some of them are really good and some of them are bad. And a lot of them are just kind of, well, you know, sort of in between with that. And if you turn on the radio, you're, you're, you're hearing Christmas songs and you've been hearing Christmas songs since second. Some radio stations, I think, since the end end of October and some are really good and and some aren't now I I would if we were discussing and you were to say to me Jeff what's what's the what's the best Christmas song ever um I I guess there there would be a couple that would be up there but for me it's White Christmas I just think at White Christmas is just absolutely an incredibly beautiful song that I never get tired of hearing but I understand reasonable people can perhaps disagree with that then there's the issue of the worst Christmas song now I bring this up because I have in my hands a huge story that appeared in the Chicago Tribune today. And one of the columns, one of the columnists, starts talking about what they believe is, case closed, the worst Christmas song ever. And, and I really, I guess, at first I had to stop and think about this particular song. Is, is, is it really a Christmas song? And, and I guess it is. And secondly, you, you almost hate to do this because the performer who, who did this, you know, passed away about 13 years ago. And so, you know, it's it, it's a question of the song as opposed to the performer. But here is the song that the columnist for the Chicago Tribune is arguing is the worst Christmas song ever. Dan Fogelberg's Same Old Lang Syne. Now, yes, it, it is a Christmas song. For, for those of you who might not be familiar with this, well, well here's what the, the columnist writes. Dan Fogelberg's Same Old Lang Syne, the worst Christmas song in the history of Christmas songs, landed on the Billboard Hot 100 about 40 years ago. Ever since, when it comes onto the radio, usually when there is too much to do and bills are piling up, I pull over and listen closely. Traffic in such a situation would prove, be prove, prove to be too much. I would uh, collide with a reindeer. I can't be responsible for myself when this song is on. It was issued as a single in 1980, included on Fogelberg's album The Innocent Age, was released 10 months later. It is the worst thing ever to come out of Peoria. Dan Fogelberg was from Peoria, Illinois. You know the song. It begins with a tinkle of piano and a singer's velvety whisper, reminiscing about the time he ran into an old lover in the frozen food section at the supermarket. They hug. 
She spills her purse on the floor. They laugh until they cry. It's Christmas Eve, and they can't find an open bar, so they buy a six-pack and move to her car. They toast to innocence. They toast to now. She's unhappy in her marriage. He's unhappy with the demands of being a successful pop singer. They try to reach beyond the emptiness. They run out of beer. They kiss goodbye, and he watches her drive off. It's basically 1980, reduced to five minutes and 18 seconds. Despite being a Christmas song, the word lover and the phrase frozen foods stands uneasily close together. And it all ends with the most ennui-laced of smooth jazz sax readings of Auld Lang Syne. It is also beloved. Same Auld Lang Syne is the cilantro of Christmas songs. Some vomit a little in their mouths at the mere mention, and some cannot imagine holiday season without it. As of this writing, with Christmas bearing down, it has been streamed on Spotify. It has been streamed on Spotify exactly 9,397,307 times. Uh, So, yes, my dyspepsia over this holiday classic is far from a popular opinion. All right, so and then then the article goes on and on and on. I might I might, might actually kind of text it out because it's sort of funny. It goes into the history. Apparently, this story was autobiographical. That Dan Fogelberg on Christmas Eve in 1975 did in fact run into an old girlfriend in a grocery store, and they ended up drinking beer in the parking lot. But 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 I digress. The columnist's point is that this is the worst Christmas song ever, 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 and yet it's been streamed almost nine and a half million times this season. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is this the worst song, or there are a, are there are a lot worse that are out there? And if so, what would that song be? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. And, and by the way, I don't know, maybe this says something about me, but I kind of like same old Lang Syne. <laughs> I, I, maybe it's schmaltzy. I, I, I kind of like that tune. And I guess I, I wouldn't say, when I think about like really bad Christmas songs, I got to tell you, this wouldn't be in my top 10. But what do you think? We discuss in just a moment. I, I, I will text this out. You can follow me on Twitter. I, I'll tweet this out. You can follow me on, tw- on Twitter at, at Jeff Wagner 620 I, I read you the first couple of paragraphs of this. This thing goes on for pages and pages. This writer in the Chicago Tribune absolutely despises the Dan Fogelberg si- song, Same Old Lang Syne, which I, I said this is the worst Christmas song ever. Now, I, again, I, I mean, it takes place on Christmas Eve. I guess I didn't never really thought of it necessarily as a Christmas song, but it does take place on Christmas Eve. And the writer can't believe that there's almost nine and a half million people People that have streamed this song on Spotify, I I candidly kind of like it. I mean, it's not like Christmas or anything like that, but I I kind of like it. I like the melody. I like the tune. I think it's a little schmaltzy, but I kind of get the sentiment about this. I don't think this is close to being the worst Christmas song of all time. But what would be eight five five six one six one six twenty? That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk about uh, Talk and Text Line. Lou in West Dallas says the writer of that column has not heard of either Dominic the Christmas Donkey or I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas. Both are awful. Um, <laughs> all right, let's start with uh, Todd in Brookfield. Todd, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, I, I, I've heard about the donkey. <laughs> I, I don't mind Fogelberg, but I said your screener, as long as there's a version of I Want a Hippopotamus <laughs> with some woman singing in a falsetto baby talk, I, I, I can't 
use Fogelberg and worse than the same sentence. <laughs> I, I just, so, so you think it's hands down, it's the I, I want a hippopotamus. Oh, <laughs> that's a nauseating song, for God's sakes. Yeah, don't they? Okay, yeah, right. No, I get it. No, thanks. Right, exactly. I mean, you know, part of the thing is, it's it's kind of like with disco. Um, I, the reason I'm bringing up disco is I was watching this thing on HBO that I recommended about the Bee Gees. It just, it's, it's actually, uh, even if you're not a Bee Gees fan, it's a fascinating thing. It's well worth your time. But it talks about how all, all these people, you know, just like hated the disco. Well, good disco wasn't bad. The problem is it just got so overexposed. And then, you know, it wasn't just like the disco dance tunes. Then you had disco duck and everybody was coming out with the, the stuff and it got overplayed. Same thing to me is true with the Christmas songs 855-616-1620 same old lang syne i, I think it's i i kind of like it let's talk i forget kind of i like it bob in wauwatosa bob you're on wtmj merry christmas <laughs> merry christmas to you sir two points the the old lang syne is a reworking of tchaikovsky's 1812 overture okay that's the whole basis of the song it, that's why it's a, a wonderful tune and i think it's pretty good but if you've ever spent any time in an Irish pub or a pub in Great Britain at Christmas time, Ballad of New York by the Pogues is the ultimate bad Christmas song because <laughs> it starts off, it was Christmas evening in the drunk tank. You cannot play that on your station, although they do it on the BBC all the time. Okay. It, so that it, I, is I, the world's worst Christmas song. Okay, I'm writing, I, I, I'm not familiar with that one. So what's it called again? I'm writing it down. What's the Ballad tune called? Ballad of New York by the Pogues. Ballad of New York. They're a punk Irish yeah. band. Yeah, no, I'm familiar with the Pogues. And, Ballad uh, of New Elvis York. Costello. Yeah. I got it. Okay, no, thanks for the call. No, no I, I got it. I will. I will check it out, <laughs> especially when you say we can't play it on our station. It was Christmas Eve in the drunk tank. Huh. Well, it's, you know, it, 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 it's not Jingle Bells. 855-616-1620. Kelly in Colgate. Hi, Kelly. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Well, I was listening to Gene Miller this morning, and I think you should contact that man down in Chicago and tell him he should listen to the song Gene was talking about, Christmas Kilbasa by (laughs) the Mike Schneider Band. Okay. And, And if the music isn't bad enough, Look at the video. <laughs> is that it? Yeah, well, and, and maybe part of the thing that that incenses the guy is that my my guess is Christmas Kilbasa hasn't been streamed on Spotify nine and a half million times. It, it probably frustrates the guy that he thinks this song is just so terrible, but everybody else likes it. I do you do you like same old Lang Syne? Do you like that tune? I do. I love Dan Fogelberg. I mean, he was a staple growing up in the eighties. Yeah, right. I mean, he had he had run for the right. I mean, you know, he. I mean, that was the late seventies, early eighties. That was his big time. He had like Run for the Roses and Leader of the Band, and you know, three or and then you know, same old Lang Syne. But you know, he. But it was maybe those tunes all sound alike. But still, I like them. You know, I still like them to this day. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And very Merry Christmas to you, Kelly. Let's talk to Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, I agree the other ones are bad, but I think the worst one of all time is Last Christmas by Wham, because it is an earworm. The music sounds like a bad video game, <laughs> and I don't I don't think that it's even a Christmas song, because if you listen to the words. Right. I suspect that it started out as Last Valentine's Day, and they, they changed <laughs> it to Christmas, because it because they had too many syllables. Yeah, it could be. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for the call. It's cute. You know, it, it is. The question is, what makes something a Christmas song? You know, one of the debates that, that people have is whenever we talk about, whenever people talk about the greatest Christmas movies of all time, 
uh, we'll, there will be people that will come in and say, well, what it is is it Die Hard. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Now, I, I understand that this is controversial, but I don't think Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Now, I understand Die Hard, Die Hard is a movie about terrorists trying to blow up a building and, and get away with a whole bunch of money. And it's an action flick. Now, I get that it, it's set over Christmas time and there's a Christmas party, but just because that's the scenario doesn't to me make it a Christmas movie. And I think, I see, I would argue, same old Lang Syne, just because it's set on Christmas Eve doesn't necessarily make it a Christmas song like White Christmas or All I Want for Christmas or whatever. But, but nonetheless, I mean, I like Die Hard, whether it's a Christmas movie or not, and I like uh, Same Old Lang Syne. Jim in Bayview. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Jim. I would say the song that's um, Grandma Got Ran Over, over by, by a Reindeer. reindeer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's just kind of this. You know that one? Oh, I do. I do. Yeah, that's kind of like a, I guess, I mean, thanks to God. I guess to me, that's sort of like a novelty thing, and it's, um, you know, there, there's some of those, like, novelty songs that are out there, and you either like them or not, but they're really not intended to be, you know, serious or Christmas. So it's, just, it's kind of a, okay, this is just, it's a it's a silly one that's out there, kind of like the song we play every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, or right before the start of deer hunting season about the, you know, the deer camp song and all, all the stuff by the old Happy Schnapps combo and things like that. Let's talk to Mary in Gray's Lake. Hi, Mary. Hello. Happy Friday. Same to you. Merry Christmas. Okay. Um, worst, Merry Christmas. Chris- worst Christmas song ever? Okay, I might get booze on this one, but it's Paul McCartney's Wonderful Christmas Time. <laughs> Whenever yeah. I hear that on the radio, my kids know this by now, too. I have to turn it off. It, it, and then it's in my head the rest of the day. <laughs> I, well, it, you know, it's funny that you should mention that, Mary, because I have, I would say, at least at least a half dozen texts from people who are saying the same thing. You know, and I, I guess, I mean, how, how can Paul McCartney be the worst at anything? But you just can't stand that wonderful Christmas time. <laughs> I know. It's almost like, see, right, to even say that in the same phrase as he is. Uh, but it is, it's really the song that I'm like, oh, man. Uh, and, and then I can't get it out of my head the rest of the day. Well, see that. I mean, um, thank, no, thanks. For that that's the worst thing. It, it the, the worst thing is it, it's like it's the earworms that are out there. And once you just said earworms, three different songs just popped into my head, and so I've got to kind of move on, or else I'm going to be dwelling with them. Um, let's see. Let's get a couple texts. Um, Jeff, I don't know about the worst, but one of my favorites is "Rusty Chevrolet" by the Youpers. Um, Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Adam Sandler's Hanukkah song. It's like nails on a chalkboard to me, although I recognize a lot of people will disagree. Yep, Dominic and the Hippo songs are my top choices for bad. Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer is up there as well. Uh, Let's see. uh, Jeff, I cannot stand the song Santa Baby. Every time I hear it, I want to stab my own ears. Dominic and the Donkeys is the worst Christmas song ever. Um, the Dan Fogelberg song, I love that song. It speaks of sentiment and memories. Isn't that part of Christmas? Uh, Jeff, I'm a Fogelberg fan, and I consider it more just one of his songs than an actual Christmas song. To me, worst Christmas song ever is Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Auld Lang Syne is a lot better than I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas or Grandma Got Run run Over by a Reindeer. Okay, now here's one that would be really controversial, and I disagree. The Charlie Brown song is terrible. Now, see, I, I, I think... 
that that's that's classic that uh, the jordan you know that, that charlie brown who can hate who cannot like the charlie brown song you're referring to the christmas time is here yeah right i don't like that song you don't I'm like with it the either texter. it's just so chilling it's like you know kids voices sounding i don't know just all in unison I, i'm not a big fan you've been working with scafidi too long that's that's just the, <laughs> that's, just the, that's that's kind of the bottom line of that yeah but that's that's the one that they're out there um the worst christmas songs of all time rocking around the Christmas tree or um, Santa's beard by the Beach Boys. I'm not even sure I've ever heard that particular one. Uh, Jeff, how about the barking dogs doing jingle bells? Yeah, that that's a that's a bad one. And um, the Bruce Spring. I look. I I'm a Bruce Springsteen fan. Less so because he's just gotten so politically kooky and, and preachy. But his the, the Bruce Springsteen, Jordan, what's his Christmas one? It's um Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming I don't like to that town song either. by Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, that's um you know, I like the tune Santa Claus is coming to town. Bruce should stick with um I don't know, some of the other tunes that stick with Darlington County and stick with, you know, some of the other tunes. Um he's probably better off with that. Okay, lots of stuff coming up on the program. And if I have put the same old Lang Syne earworm in your ear for the weekend, sorry. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Only a hippopotamus will do. Okay. Now, there is no way that Stan Fogelberg's same old Lang Syne, regardless of whether or not it's a Christmas song, there's no way that same old Lang Syne is a worse song than that. They're 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 not in the same league. They're they're not even in the same discussion. But there you go. Do you know what? This is a pretty sketchy song. It is a pretty sketchy, sketchy song. song. Sketchy as far as... Sketchy as in, in a way, it just doesn't sound right. Sketchy. Okay. Well, <laughs> well meaning that... I mean, who wants a hippopotamus for Christmas? Well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, but who wants to see Grandma get run over by a reindeer either? You know? <laughs> I mean, it's just... It's sort of one of those things. Now, I'll stick with same old Lang Syne. We're stirring up controversy. Jordan, here's the challenge. Just got a text. I got an email. I just heard one listener trash my Christmas Kilbasa song. I'm hearing from the, the guy that did Christmas Kilbasa. Bummer. You should play it. Help support a local musician who's been impacted by COVID. Thanks again. Have a great Friday. All right. We got to track that down. Miller must have had it. So Christmas Kilbasa, we will we'll put it up there. All right. We'll, we'll try to, we will try to find it before the end of the show. So Mike... Keep listening. <laughs> and again, I just I sent out the uh, I sent out the tweet about with the link to this story in the Chicago Tribune. And the thing that really struck me about it, to tell you the honest goodness truth, is it goes on and on and on. I mean, the, the guy is just obsessed with how much he hates this particular song. And I guess I just never, regardless of whether you think about "Same Old Lang Syne" as a Christmas song or not, it's kind of like, jeez, ah, I that it inspires this type of reaction from people you know you know i run into that a lot as as a jimmy buffett fan and and people either love or hate margaritaville and the thing see buffett has hundreds and hundreds of songs and actually margaritaville was the one that went to number one and kind of gave him his degree of fame and made him a whole bunch of money but i i think 
you know, to me, Margaritaville is really one of his lesser songs, but it's the one that he's known for. But, uh, you know, but but still, people love that or hate it. Okay, here is the deal. The vaccines are starting to be rolled out. And the decision right now is who gets vaccinated and, and when? Who gets vaccinated first? We've already decided that frontline health care workers and people who are living in nursing homes, you know, people who are, are older and they're confined in nursing homes, that's going to be the first two groups of people that get the vaccine. And as a split off of that, a subset of that, the, the workers, even if they're not frontline healthcare workers, workers who are working in the nursing homes, they're, they're going to get it. So I think that's pretty much where we are. So the question becomes, where do you go after that? There's a real interesting opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal today that kind of caught my attention. And, you know, here's, here's what it, it says. It says, look, if we want to, if we want to stop the, the lockdowns, if we want to get control of the virus in the next 30 days, this is what we need to do. And let me read you a portion of this, and then we're going to discuss. With vaccines being administered, um, thanks to Operation Warp Speed, Americans will have enough doses to inoculate 20 million people in December and 30 million more in January. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention has rightly put nursing home residents first in line. 38% of U.S. COVID deaths are connected to these settings. Frontline medical personnel will also receive priority. Those who care for the elderly should receive special priority as well. So should people under 65 who are at severely elevated risk of mortality from COVID-19 infection due to severe chronic disease. So what they're saying is, look, let's nursing home people, people work in nursing homes, frontline health care providers and people under 65 who are severely elevated risk because of health problems. All right. Then it goes on to say here, here is here is the deal. First of all, people that have had it already and recovered, they, they should be at the back of the line. They've got natural immunity from this. They shouldn't get it. At least they shouldn't get it ahead of anybody else. Secondly, says children. Children should go to the back of the line because, first of all, a lot of these vaccines haven't been tested on children yet. That's not been where the emphasis is. And secondly, if you look at the number of kids that get it, it's almost non-existent. So what they say then is some 50 million people in the U.S. are over 65. Um, The number of vaccine doses expected to be available over the next two months will be enough to vaccinate every elderly person. I think people who are 65 don't consider themselves to be elderly, but we'll let that go. Okay, there's enough vaccine over the next two months to vaccinate every elderly person who wants to be inoculated, as well as healthcare workers and other vulnerable people. With a 90% plus efficacy rate in protecting against COVID-19 symptoms, we will increase near uh, perfect focused protection. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think that plan makes sense. I think from after you get the people in the nursing homes, after you get the frontline medical personnel out of the way, then what you do is you look at the people who are under the age of 65 but particularly at risk because of some sort of chronic condition. And then then you start inoculating people over the age of 65, and that pretty much 
goes a long way towards solving the main problem of people who get it, who get sick, and end up, you know, having to be hospitalized. Now, I understand there's people in the 30s or 40s who, who can be hospitalized if they get it and they can have a bad reaction. But statistically, you, it seems to me you put your money where the greatest likelihood of a problem is. And for people who've already had it, and I'm not encouraging people who've had it to not get the vaccine. Matter of fact, I think doctors would tell you that you would. But if you're a 50 year old who's gotten this, recovered from it, I think you go to the back of the line. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does it make sense, once you go through the high-risk people, to then start prioritizing with people over the age of 65 at the front of the line? To me, that is how you do it. And plus, given the fact that most, not all, but most people over the age of 65 are already registered with the government. They're, they're on Medicare or they've signed up for Medicare Part A, so you can track them down. You know who these people are. I think it's a no-brainer that you start there. 855-616-1620, where do we start? What's the priority? And if we do it right, can we essentially end lockdowns and concerns about this stuff within 30 to 60 days? We discuss. <laughs> Yeah, this piece in the Wall Street Journal just makes a lot of sense to me. We've got we've got a limited amount of vaccines for the moment. The, the estimate is, but by, by summer, I, I think everybody who wants a vaccine to be vaccinated can can get it. But the question is, what what do we do now? How do we prioritize stuff to make sure that we can open up things? And again, after you get past the people in nursing homes, the people who work in nursing homes, and the frontline healthcare providers, to me, it, it, it's simple and it's straightforward. You, you find people under 65 who have significant health issues for whom if they got COVID, it would be you know, a really bad result. So the unhealthy people under 65, and then you start a mass program to inoculate people 65 and older. And, and then then you start working down. And by the way, I would put, even at the age of 65 or older, I would people put people who've had it and who've recovered, I'd put them at the back of the line because they've got, they've got a natural immunity. Now, they don't know whether it's going to last three months or six months or eight months or two years. We don't know that exactly, but we know they've got a degree of natural immunity. I would say start Start with people 65 and older, and then start to work your way down. 855-616-1620. John and Oconomowoc. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, yes, Jeff. I like the whole plan, except for the under 65 people that have chronic problems. Uh-huh. I think anybody that has chronic problems, if they're over 65 or under 65, should be in that same group. Because if you're over 65... Yeah. Your chronic problem is probably worse than someone under 65, so they should all be in the same group. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I guess I don't I, – I think that's kind of what was sort of implied by that. It's the, it's the people with the chronic health problems go next, regardless of age. And then what happens is then when you're looking at the next large group that's out there, then you start with the people that are over the age of 65. I, I think that's kind of the, the implication there. Yeah, I, I'm not saying a 30-year-old with a chronic health problem should should get the vaccine ahead of a 70-year-old with a chronic health problem. You take the people with the chronic health problems, you deal with that, but then when you're starting with groups, you start with the, the 65 and older, and then you kind of work your way down, coming to the people who who've recovered and the people, the the, the kids, the children, you, you deal with them last, in part because children 
are, are statistically least susceptible to this. And I understand there's kids that have gotten it. I, I get that. But least susceptible to this and least susceptible to really bad results, according to the, the statistics. Plus, the vaccines right now, to my knowledge, really haven't been tested on children. That hasn't been what the priority is. 855-616-1620. Um, Jeff, absolutely. This is the quickest and most effective ways to flatten the curve, thereby um, negating the justification for the lockdowns. Um, Jeff, I think teachers need to be at the top of the list, too. They have to follow the ER personnel, get the kids back in school today. Um, Jeff, push the white-collar workers who can work remotely and don't fit in a high-risk category to the back of the line. Let those who work close to others get protection and allow them to get back to work. 855-616-1620. Johnny in Montello, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, listen, uh, first I want to say hats off to uh, UPS and United Parcel for getting the vaccines through the north, northeastern, uh, nor'easter that, that yeah, yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. Or uh, two days ago. Uh, I, I got a call from my sister last night. She's a physical therapist in, in uh, Massachusetts, and she, you know, I, obviously she's with patients uh, all the time uh, on a daily basis. Um, she, yeah, she, 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 came, she gave me a call and said, uh, I'm on my way to get vaccinated. And uh, I said, well, well, great, you know, uh, fantastic. And so, you know, I'll call her tonight and see if you know, she's having any uh, you know side effects or anything like that. But yeah, certainly frontline workers um, in the hospitals, in the nursing homes, um, and the elderly in nursing homes, uh, mm-hmm. those over 65 that are infirm, they, they should get it first. And, you know, I, I'm 56, Jeff, and I, I care for my father around the clock. And I really don't leave the house. Uh, you know, maybe I go to town once a week to buy groceries, but I, I think I would give my vaccine up for someone that that really kind of needs it. I, I know we've heard there's a shortage, so right. um, you know, I, I'm just we're just sequestered here, and um, you know, I, I'm not too worried about myself because I'm not around other people. But well, um, no, I mean, I think I mean, yeah, see, I agree. Definitely. I mean, see, I, I, you know, Johnny, I mean, I don't think there's any argument that that the, the frontline workers, the people in, in healthcare, they're they're the ones who have to get it first, and and the people who are nursing homes because they're the most vulnerable, and the people who are going in and going out of nursing homes because they're around the people that are most vulnerable. But then you get into, I mean, it, it is kind of a debate there. Do you take the thirty-year-old uh, woman? Who's the cashier in the the pick and save or the Sendex or, or whatever? Who's been you know essential workers been working through this or the the guy that's stocking shelves um, at the age of thirty um, who is a, clearly an essential worker? Do you put those people ahead of say the the sixty five or the seventy or the seventy five year old person who's not in a nursing home? Um, but, you know, it's not out and about as much. And that's where the balancing comes in. My argument would be that you, you put the older people first, the ones who haven't had COVID. Again, I, the ones who've had and recovered, I, I, I push them into a second category. But you put the older people first because, again, statistics. And I understand that, you know, I understand a 30-year-old can get it and can die, and a 75-year-old can get it and have mild symptoms and recover. So I understand all that. But if you just look at the numbers, and that's what you have to do, you have to base it on a statistical thing. If you do that, the the fact of the matter is that the 75-year-old who would get it 
would be much more likely statistically to be hospitalized and have an adverse reaction than the 30-year-old checker at, at the grocery store. So you don't want anybody to get it. But, yeah, because we're trying to keep people out of hospitals, we're trying to flatten the curve, we're trying not to overwhelm the health care system, my priority would be on, on people who are older. Dawn in Elkhorn. Dawn, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Thank you for taking a call, Jeff. Hi, Dawn. I just wanted to speak to you because I am on week three since COVID diagnosis. We got it the day after Thanksgiving, me and my husband. We just both returned to work. And I, I'm i with you when you're saying frontline, first responders first, then the elderly. My mother said, I'm 57, wait, I'm 50. Eight years old. Oops. I'm 58 years old. I can't <laughs> imagine my 70 year Time just all f- uh, runs together, doesn't it, after a while? <laughs> it does. Yeah. But my mom's 74, and she has uh, emphysema. I can't imagine her going through what I did, which was four days, 22 hours a day, sleeping, mm-hmm. high fever, headaches, and, and not eating for six days. Can't. I have not drank coffee since Thanksgiving because of lovely COVID, but I know that the elderly, I could just imagine yeah. they'd overwhelm the hospital. Well, right. It, 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 it's it difficult on anybody. And like I was saying, you, you don't want yes. the 35-year-old guy that's stocking shelves at the grocery store to get it, but that he, he, he's more likely statistically to recover than you're saying, like your 70-year-old you know, mom. It, it just it makes sense. To me, this right. just makes sense. Let me ask you, did you lose, right. did you, you. Did you lose your, your sense of taste and smell? I did for six days. And then when it came back, coffee smells like ammonia to me, and bread smells like toxic chemicals. Oh, really? Wow. The wow. weirdest thing. Well, yeah. You know, it's very it, strange. It, it's, I, I, just, I can't imagine what that's like. I've, I have, um, well, for example, my my. my Late wife, you know, when she was going through chemotherapy, that one one of the big complaints she had is the chemotherapy took away her sense of taste, and and you, it was very difficult. They have a problem with that with like cancer patients because you lose your sense of taste, and you just don't want to eat anything because everything. It, it just doesn't taste like anything. Right. Ta- she, Sue used to kept saying it, it tastes like mush. And you say, well, you have to eat. And, you know, and, and they understand that. But so that that kind of happened to you. You just couldn't taste anything, huh? I was just going to say I'm a 16-year ovarian cancer survivor, and when I was going through chemo, I couldn't stand Chinese food. The mixture of yeah. smells made me nauseous. Yeah. So, yeah, I kind of have a, a take on that, I guess. <laughs> but um, okay. exactly, it's it's the weirdest experience I've ever been through. Um, we're still recovering. We're you know the, it really affects your lungs greatly, mm-hmm. and and that's a scary part, I guess. Well, you know, you probably Don, you probably know as, as do I. You know, I, I know people all across. I, I know people who had it, who were hospitalized for a few days. I, I don't know anybody, yep. thankfully, who, who who died as a result of this. But I know other people, including people in their sixties and seventies, who had it and it was nothing. You know, it was, I was kind of tired for a day, and I had a little bit of an ache, and I had a, a fever for a night, and a little bit of a cough. But you know, three days later, they were recovered. It's just, it's wild to me how this hits wow. different people differently. I would encourage everyone listening to me, um, not that I'm a doctor or anything, but get a pulse ox to keep in your house. That saved me an ER admission because my pulse ox, it was 88, 84, 86 for 
three days. Mm -hmm. And my doctor, I would report every day to them and said, if it stays that way, the fourth day you have to come in because your lungs aren't functioning. And it it went up on the fourth day. But we have a family friend who at 49, two weeks he was on the upswing, and then uh, the third week, they found him dead in his home. His mm. lungs weren't functioning. He wasn't aware. Some people are shallow breathers and don't realize they are shallow breathers. And so then when they're hit with COVID, they're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. So get a pulse box. It's 20 bucks right now. They're not gouging us for it at the store. You know, get it and have it in your home. It takes your heart rate and it takes your, your oxygen in your blood. Good enough. Dawn, thank- your, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Dawn, thanks for the call. I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're getting better. So ways to go sounds thank like, you. but you're getting better. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the perspective. Uh, we, look, b- bottom line is there is light at the end of the tunnel. I, I think that's clear. We just have to figure out how to get there. And by saying that, I'm not encouraging people to be irresponsible over the course of the next couple months. I'm just saying that if we do this smart, Maybe, just maybe, by the spring, we're going to be able to get back to some real sense of normalcy. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Kevin, you didn't get your official sign out there. That's yeah, all good. It's that's all, radio. It, 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 it is right. If that's, I got called Tony Wells earlier this morning again by uh, Steve. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> so we're two for two today. <laughs> well, well, I I don't know about that, but the, the last thing, if, trust me, if that's the worst thing that happens over the course of the next three hours, we're we're doing okay. <laughs> now, actually, we, you know, we were talking off the air before your newscast, and you um, raised an interesting point. We were talking about what you were going to do later on today. You said, literally. See, literally is a term that is occasionally uh, over or incorrectly used. But you said literally Christmas is one week away, and you are absolutely right. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I woke up this morning and realized half of my holiday gift list is yet to be filled out. So I'm headed straight to the mall after this to finish up the holiday shopping and um, got to get it going. Got to get wrapping, too. You are a brave man. Oh, well, here's here's like the little Wagner family story about that. Of course, this is a surprise to nobody. My wife, Fran, takes care of like everything. I just kind of like stay out of the way. And um, she comes up to me today and says, I just realized that Christmas is next Friday, not next Saturday. And I said, well, well, yeah. Why did you think that? She said, well, a couple of weeks ago, her daughter, Jenny, said, well, Christmas is on Saturday. And so my wife just had it in her mind that Christmas was going to be on Saturday until she heard me saying, well, gee, I'm off on Wednesday. I've got I'm, I'm, My last day is Wednesday. That means I've got off Christmas Eve. And she thought I was incorrectly thinking Christmas Eve was Thursday. No, for people who might be confused, Christmas, a week from today, next Friday. It's crazy, isn't it? Doesn't seem possible. Time, it's time flies. It, it does. But I tell you, the the good news weather wise, first of all, it doesn't look like we're going to have any major snowstorms between now and then. In addition, one of the dates that I always mark off in the calendar, and I, I never like to be this guy that wishes time away, but December twenty first. So you know, coming up in in just a couple days, that is the the winter solstice, and what that means is. After December 21st, the daylight hours start increasing. The days start, the daylight hours start getting longer. So, you know, we're, for people like me who hate it when it's dark at 4 o'clock or 4.15 or whatever it is, it starts to turn around. 
coming next week. Yeah, and it'll be kind of nice, too, for you know a lot of people, too, that get to work early in the morning, and then they leave. They don't even see the sunlight at this time <laughs> of the year, and I'm, I'm kind of in that boat, too. Sometimes I'll be in my apartment working from home, and then I, I head here late at night to do my night shift. I leave at midnight, and it's dark, and I don't even see the sun, so it'll be nice to there have you some go. sunshine. Well, you have a great weekend, Tony. Kevin, I know. <laughs> just, I, just, <laughs> I was going to say. You, too, and uh, Merry Christmas to you, Jeff. Merry Christmas, as well, if we don't see each other before that. All right. Let, let us let us get started. And as I was saying with it, the transition, today's show is going to be a little bit different. We've got some serious and tough topics, um, but we've also got a lot of lighter ones. And that's actually going to be the, the trend as we move into the next week. It's Christmas week. I, I know sometimes radio listening is a little bit off, but um, or at least it's, it's different because people are taking a bunch of time off and all. So we're going to try to sort of ease you into your holidays as well. I want to start off, though. With the story of David Elliott Working, 40-year-old guy who lives in Grand, or at least at one point in time, lived in Grand Haven, Michigan. Grand Haven is eh, about 15 miles from Grand Rapids, if you want to figure this out. Well, here is the deal. I, David Elliott Working, well, over the years, he has had, I think it would be fair to say, a problem with pornography. Uh, apparently, according to his father, he was kicked out, This is the, the younger working, was kicked out of Indiana's Wesleyan University as a freshman after being caught distributing pornography, according to his, his father. All right, so the, the, the guy's, he, he's into pornography, and apparently it, it has caused some issues in his life. Well, here is the deal. Um, Back in uh, 2016-ish, what happened is he moves in with his parents because he'd been going through a divorce, so he had nowhere to live. So his parents take him in. So he moves in with his parents. He doesn't pay rent. So he, he's moved back in at the age of 38 or 39 or 40 or whatever this is, doesn't pay rent, but um, he does do some household chores. All right, so that, that's the deal. All right, um, he lives with his parents for a while, and then ultimately he moves out of his parents' house the way it's termed is at the request of local law enforcement in August of 2017. Don't know what exactly that would mean. I think it's probably like the parents want him out. He doesn't want to go, so they have to get the cops involved. But in any event, he moves out of the house in August of 2017. When he moves out of the house, he leaves a bunch of stuff behind. A couple months later, he asks for the stuff he has left back. Among the possessions that he left at his parents' home included 12 moving boxes, 12 moving boxes full of pornography, plus two boxes of what are described in the court filings as sex toys. The mind reels backwards. Okay, so the guy's got all this porn and associated stuff at mom and dad's house, and it's been there. Okay, so what happens is mom and dad go and they find all this stuff. And unwilling to transport the pornographic material to his new place in Muncie, Indiana. I'm sure people in Muncie are popping their buttons that this guy's living there. And uncomfortable with the material in their home, mom and dad destroy the DVDs, the VHS tapes, and a variety of other belongings. 
So they, they, they trashed this all. They refused to give it back to the, the kid. Um, the kid then goes and files a police report on his parents um, relating to the destruction of the property. They destroyed my stuff. They burned my porn. Um, the prosecutor's office declines to get involved in this. Um, then there's an email exchange back and forth between dad and the son. Dad says, look, You've had issues with this kind of stuff in the past, and it's kind of, you know, screwed you up. Frankly, David, I did you a big favor by getting rid of all this stuff for you, to which the kid responds, Dad, your problem is that essentially you're too uptight. Here's all this. Here's these different websites that you can go to and watch porn. Now, I, I take a pause there because whenever I, I when I was thinking about this story, again, I'm I, I, my my dad passed away five six years ago. I'm I'm picturing my father, and I'm trying to imagine having this exchange with my father. And I just kind of think about that. You know, you you you've got a whole bunch of pornography stored at your folks' house. They find it, they toss it out, and, and then you're in an argument about why they they won't give it back. And dad, you really need to lighten up and and watch a little bit more porn, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, all right. Long story short. The stuff is gone. The parents have not just not returned it, the parents have destroyed it. The kid then goes to federal court and files a lawsuit saying, I, I, I'm entitled to damages. Um, the porn, including some like, like vintage porn, I don't know what makes it vintage as opposed to, you know, what makes it just run of the mill porn. He claims the value is worth 20, it's up to $25,000 to replace the pornography and replace all the other things that were um, destroyed. Case goes to federal court. Earlier this week, a federal judge, Judge Paul Maloney, issues a ruling in favor of the kid. In favor of the kid, says that mom and dad had no right to destroy this property that they had left, that the kid had left in the house. And he says, well, I mean, if you're a landlord and you find belongings that a tenant had left in the house, you know, you don't have the right to just destroy all those things. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Your reaction to this, and again, I'm trying to picture this thing. I guess I don't think of the kid, where I think the judge is wrong, is I don't think of the kid as being a tenant. This isn't like, okay, somebody moves out and they leave some stuff behind and they ask it to be sent to them. This The, the kid didn't have a lease. The kid wasn't paying rent. I can't say kid. He's 40 years old. He was doing chores um, in order to stay. To me, this is mom and dad allowing their child to stay at their house. And mom and dad obviously didn't approve of the stuff that was left behind, and they got rid of it. The federal judge says mom and dad owe the kid thousands and thousands of dollars for destroying his porn. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did the federal judge get it right? We discuss in a minute. There are so many interesting aspects of this story to me. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is the story about the guy who, at the age of 40, now he's 42. He filed the lawsuit last year. It was just decided this week. Guy 
goes through a divorce, moves back in with mom and dad. He's not paying rent, and he has an enormous collection of pornography um, that he values at being worth more than $25,000. Again, the mind kind of reels backward at this sort of story. He moves out um, at the request, I think, of mom and dad and local law enforcement, leaves all the porn behind, along with other stuff. Months later, he asks the stuff to be shipped to him. Mom and dad discover that it is porn. They think their kid is ruining his life. They destroy it. He sues mom and dad. And um, just recently, federal court judge said, yep, mom and dad shouldn't have destroyed their child's pornography. They are going to owe him money. We'll figure that out later on. But it could be tens of thousands of dollars. First issue, of course, is why would you bring a lawsuit in, in this? And this has always been the story here because for forevermore, and maybe he doesn't care, but this David working, you know, when, whenever anybody looks up his name, he is now going to be guy, the guy that is permanently identified with suing mom and dad over, I don't know, his pornography collection. Who sues mom and dad over that? Secondly, I guess I, and it is sort of the precedent that, that this ends up setting. Mom and dad are kind enough to allow the kid, when he's down on the luck after a divorce, go figure, you know, his marriage blew up, um, to move back in. He stashes a whole bunch of pornography at their house that he does not take with him when he leaves. They find it, they destroy it, and now he wants compensation for it. Um, 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, the guy sounds like a loser. Well, I think that's it. Um, but it is his stuff. Well, okay. I, it, I guess it, it is his stuff. The question becomes, if you have a, for example, if, if you were living with mom and dad and you move out and they decide that they're going to clean out your room and they're going to toss your comic books away and things like that, can you sue them for that? Jeff, the stuff was his, even if they didn't like it. Well, yeah, the stuff was his, but he left it behind. Jeff, he's divorced. That's a shocking story. Yes, it is. Um, Jeff, what if it was a bunch of jewelry or a bag of cash valued at $25,000? The parents would be on the hook. So why not if it's collectible porn? Well, I don't know if the parents would be on the hook. That's the question, If especially given the parental relationship. This, to me, is not your typical landlord-tenant sort of thing. Um, Jeff, um Two things. This is from Lou in West Dallas. I think this inspires every kook to file stupid lawsuits. And can I sue my 89-year-old mom for tossing out my Suzanne Summers Playboy she found under my mattress in 1979? Well, that's kind of an interesting question as well. Jeff, shipping porn to him could have been illegal. That's one of the things the father said. The father said, hey, there's some of this stuff in here. I, I don't think... I, and I guess there's some questions because it's gone as to whether all the stuff was legal or not. But the father, that was his point. He says, look, some of this stuff, I, I just, I looked to me like it might have been kiddie porn or something. The guy says, no, 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 it was none of that. But the father, he says, I'm, I don't want to ship this stuff. I mean, you don't need it. Um, Jeff, I believe the federal judge is way off. There's a thing called abandoned property, and there's absolutely no requirement for a landlord to hang on to the property. If that was the judge's ruling, he's way off base because it appears the son moved out and abandoned his things. My understanding is the judge has not yet ruled on the dollar amount. No, he hasn't ruled on the dollar amount yet. 855-616-1620. But again, this is the kind of deal where no good deed goes unpunished. Now, I don't know 
If the kid thinks he's going to get paid by the parents making an insurance claim, I take no position on whether their homeowner's insurance would cover it. But I'm just thinking, if I move in with my parents, they let me live there, they would have let me live at my house rent-free, and then I move out and leave a whole bunch of pornography, I wouldn't have had the guts to ask my mom and dad to send it back, much less to sue them. Let's talk to Kathy and Franklin. Kathy, you're on WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Kathy. <laughs> and happy holidays. Same to you. I think. <laughs> okay. Um, my, my, my thinking is that this man was living with his parents rent-free. Yes, he was doing chores. So where's the equity? Are the parents going to be reimbursed for all the time he was living with them? Uh, and the answer would be no. Uh, right, right. It's, yeah, and that's, see, I guess that's, it's a parent son thing. It's not like a landlord tenant. It's not like it's an arm's length transaction. You're paying rent and you say to the landlord, hey, I'm moving out. Can I leave a couple boxes here? Will you hold them for 90 days? That, that's, that's not what happens here. He's, he's not to me a tenant. He's, he's their kid. Yeah, he's their right. But now he's made it into a tenant. So if he if he's making it like that, then why not? I would go back after him and say, okay, you owe us twenty five thousand dollars or twenty five hundred thousand, whatever, in rent. Right. For yeah. The couple of years you lived with us. Right. Or yeah, I guess. I mean, I can you imagine? Can you imagine suing your parents for something like this? I guess. The, oh gosh. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, that's the other thing that, that strikes me, Kathy, is people have no sense. of of shame that that's the i mean that's who would want again your name associated with this lawsuit and this, this outcome oh whenever you apply for your job oh you're well I'm, let me google your name why does that sound familiar oh yeah you're the guy with the big collection of pornography who sued his parents who wants to be that guy well obviously he needs some attention yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's how he's going to get it right no thanks Nicole. well and, and actually and that's what what the father says in the emails the father says yeah we we tossed this out he says kid and again kid that he's 38 or 40 he's now 42 he's 40 when all this is going on he said look th- this your fixation with pornography has been screwing up your life. Now I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but you know, you're you you move back in with us because you're divorced and you don't have any money and you don't have any other place to stay. You know, you've got this massive trove of pornography. Um, remember, you got kicked out of college because of this. Don't you think that you know maybe what there. <laughs> Maybe, maybe you know, after getting divorced and after not having a place to live and after all this stuff, maybe you shouldn't give pornography one more chance. I mean, maybe you should just understand, hey, issues that are here. But a federal judge has now said, hey, you're going to be entitled to some compensation. It will, I guess, the question is, you know, how much are the parents going to be ordered to pay? And, you know, what is the guy going to do to try to collect? You're going to attach their retirement accounts? Are you going to try to, uh, I don't know, put a lien on the home? Who does this to their parents? Oh, yeah, a porn-obsessed loser. Merry Christmas, Mom and Dad. Back with more in just a minute. So very glad to have you with us. I'm not bearing the lead on this one. Please, please, please don't do it. I don't want to watch it. Make it stop. All right. President Trump 
will be leaving the White House on January 20th. I understand some people don't like that, but that this is the reality of what is going to happen. Now, interestingly, when President Trump leaves, he has a, a universe of choices that are out there. A lot of people are play, painting a, a kind of bleak fortune for him, for future for him. Well, you know, he's got all these financial problems and Mar-a-Lago, the residents down there, they don't want him to be able to move in and they're going to be filing legal lawsuits to stop him from being able to live at the, this at the club in in Florida and the New York state attorney general is looking at him and the family and and you know some of the the hotel properties aren't worth what they were and so they're, they're trying to paint a, a sort of bleak portrait uh, the, the truth is I mean I think President Trump is going to do just fine for example New York Times reporting today that um, you know even since the election he has been able to raise two hundred and fifty million dollars from supporters. More than $60 million of that sum has gone to a new political action committee, which Mr. Trump will control after he leaves offices. Um, He could use the money to, I don't know, try to exert control over the Republican Party, reward loyalists, fund his travels, fund rallies, hire staff, and even lay the groundwork for another run. So he's got a a ton of money that's out there for a political future. But nevertheless, he's got to decide what he wants to do with with his life. That's always the decision that's out there. Do you want to... What, what do you do as a as a as a former president? I mean, do you do you write your book? I mean, most of them do. Barack Obama just got done with his book, and that just came out. So, do you write your book? It's tough to kind of see, you know, Donald Trump closeting himself in in an office for months and months and months and looking through records. But you know, maybe he'll he'll end up doing that. You know, do you try to go back into business? Well, okay, that maybe the brand is tarnished. Well, apparently one of the things, and I have in my hand the story, that the president is considering doing is restarting the TV show The Apprentice. Now, for those of you who might have forgotten, the thing that I I think really in, in 2004 that really catapulted Donald Trump back into the the limelight. Now, Donald Trump has always been there as a business developer and things like that. But I think it would be fair to say that, you know, after the heyday of the 80s, he was sort of like a B or C-list celebrity. And then what really revived his career from a a perspective of of public awareness was the TV show The Apprentice. Um, it, It debuted in 2004 and ran Uh, across 15 seasons from 2004 to 2017. Now, some of it was The Apprentice, which is where there were non-celebrities. Some of it was The Celebrity Apprentice. But I think, you know, everybody's familiar with the thing. Bunch of people competing in The Apprentice. It was whoever, whoever ended up making it through the elimination process, you know, got a job with the Trump organization. In the case of, like, the Celebrity Apprentice, it was celebrities, a lot of times B and C-list celebrities themselves, who were competing for charities and things like that. But it positioned Donald Trump. He was the guy in the boardroom who came in and, you know, listened to, you know, why things went right or why things went wrong. And then his catchphrase was, you know, you're fired. So it, it was it was a huge success, at least at first. I think, in fairness, as happens a lot of times to these things, first year was big. 
Second year was not as big, but still did fine. And then the, the ratings started declining and started declining precipitously, which is why they rebooted it as the Celebrity Apprentice. And, and But, I mean, look, the, the show was on for, what, like parts of 15 years. So there, there's no question that people had an appetite for it. So President Trump is now apparently, according to the stories I'm looking at, floating the idea of reviving that. What do you think about the the apprentice? He made a ton of money. Apparently, uh, they say that he he was he profited to the tune of about two hundred million dollars over sixteen years from the apprentice, and they say he was able to generate about two hundred thirty million dollars additionally from fame the franchise generated. You know, I mean, like, oh, okay, this is Donald Trump, and now we want to go to Trump University or, or whatever. So he's apparently at least thinking about rebooting the apprentice. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a simple question. Would this show be a success if you were to bring it back in some some form, whether celebrity or otherwise, with Donald Trump back in the boardroom? Could you restart this? Would it be a success? Would people watch? Would you watch? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For me... I think the ship has sailed. I think that there's all sorts of avenues that President Trump will use to keep himself in the public eye. But trying to go back and say, hey, you know, 2004, we're we're back and we're trying to recreate the magic we had there. I think that's doomed. What do you think? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss. 855-616-1620. All right. Uh, President Trump trying to figure out what he's going to do moving forward. Story out there. I mean, the thing that, that really revived his public career was, and, and I think was the springboard for his election to office, was the, the, the TV show, the reality, t- and I say reality in quotation marks, the, the Apprentice and then the Celebrity Apprentice. And the story I'm looking at, apparently President Trump is bringing that up. He's asking some of his allies, would you like to see The Apprentice come back? Remember The Apprentice? One of, uh, and the story I'm looking at quotes one of the friends is saying, I think an apprentice, celebrity apprentice revival would be a humongous hit. The iteration would be ratings gold for whoever is fortunate enough to get the reboot. Would it? 855-616-1620. I'm a little bit skeptical. Susan in Gray's Lake. Susan, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Susan. Um, so I have, a, I have a spin for you. I heard a gentleman on cable last night making the comment that Right now, Trump might be less about the you're fired concept and more about I'm going to pressure you until you resign, <laughs> a, la, a la William Barr and cabinet. So what about this concept? We have The Apprentice. He hires all the candidates in the first episode. And then it's just a matter of seeing how many of them can take it during sort of a pressured process of weeks. And who's standing at the end? Sort of like a boot camp, I, kind of like, like sort of like sort of like a boot camp. Okay, here we're you know we yeah. we want to get you through this, but we're going to be dumping people. Do you think people would watch? C- can you go back to that? Um, well, yeah, I'm going to say I'm going to say yes, but I'm skeptical if the numbers would be as high as they yeah. were previously. Well, you know, yeah. I'm thinking maybe viewership down. My thought. No, no well, thanks, Susan. I think you're. I mean, see, and that's that's what. Now, look, that that's what always happened. This isn't a knock on the Apprentice. So you, you you saw that 
for example, the other Mark Burnett show, Mark Burnett's the guy that produced Survivor. Remember years and years ago when Survivor first came onto the scene, it was a huge hit. Now, Survivor, you, you, you can't sustain those kind of numbers. And, and Survivor was actually kind of the, the lead in to all the different other reality shows that, that ended up happening. You know, but Survivor, Survivor's still on the air. I, I don't watch it, but I know people still do. And it doesn't do the numbers it did 15 years ago, but it, it's had a great deal of longevity. You know, uh, and of course, the, the apprentice kind of tied into that whole thing. This, the, the question, though, is, and this is what people miss, is that, that things move on. You know, it's just television in particular goes, it, it is secular. Uh, and, and by that, I mean, what, what happens is everything that's old is new again. You, you have the years and years. When I was a kid growing up, you had the amateur hour and things like that. And then th- those kind of entertainment contests, find the great star, those go away. And then you have American Idol that comes out the first time around. And American Idol, all of a sudden, it's just hot. And then everybody else has to find, we got to do our own American Idol show. And then you've got, you know, 15 different variations of American Idol. And then people get bored with it and it, and it fades. And that's kind of, game shows are the same thing. You know, game shows were really hot for a while and then they faded and then you know years ago abc brought back who wants to be a millionaire and it was a success and then all these other networks had their own variations of game shows and then people got tired of them and they moved on and now they're trying to bring back game shows i i I just don't know that you can go back to the well with with donald trump and you know can you find an interest would would the first week of the show be watched yeah, the first week would would definitely be watched by all sorts of people. After that, I don't know. Jeff, I would let's go some text. Jeff, I would probably watch it once or twice just in relief that he is not the leader of the free world anymore. Jeff, I don't think it's a bad idea. Question, do you think his ratings will be the same or less because of the political affiliation now? See, I would argue it's I would argue that it would be less. Um but again, people the first few shows people are going to tune in. And and they're going to tune in because they want to, if you support President Trump, you want to see him. If you don't support President Trump, you want to watch it and you want to make fun of it. That that That's that's it. So the first few weeks would be huge. After that, would it have staying power? I don't know. Jeff, the difference here is that he has sort of a huge cult following, and I believe everybody would tune in. Huh. All right, Jeff, um, I think this would be sort of like the Titanic. Um, Jeff, uh, Trump is so hated in the Hollywood media, I don't see how he could get any contestants or support from the networks. Well, you got to understand, when, when it comes to networks, networks care about one thing, and that is money. And if a producer is out there that can convince some network somewhere, and keep in mind, it doesn't have to be NBC. It doesn't have to be ABC. It doesn't have to be CBS. You know, you've got a a universe of networks that are out there on cable. Um, All you have to do is convince one of these networks that, hey, you bring back the apprentice. You commit to pay, you know, Donald Trump whatever he thinks he's worth. And, you know, if that network thinks that they can make money on it, well, then, then you... Do it. Um, Jeff, can you imagine The Apprentice with contestants like Michael Flynn, Roger Stone, Jeff Sessions, etc.? Well, there is that possibility, possible thing. Um, uh, let's see here. Um, Jeff, I think uh, it would flop. He's ruined his reputation um, as president. People don't want him around. Well, okay, what you have to understand, though, I appreciate that thought, but over 70 million people voted for Donald Trump, and um, there are millions of people out there who believe, 
believe that the election was, in fact, stolen. So I think some of those people would tune in, at least for the first couple shows. Jeff, I'm sure there would be an audience, but it would not include me. There's potential success if he can resist using it as a platform for saying unfair how unfair the election has been. It seems, though, like it's a gamble going back to an original gambler, going back to the original slot machine where he won money, expecting it to pay off again. I think it would be unlikely. Yeah, I think that's kind of it. Jeff, 70 million people might watch. Those who never did probably won't start. Yes, Jeff, I love the show. How fun would it be in the current environment they could have a bunch of liberal reporters on as contestants? Well, you could kind of um, tweak uh, tweak this. Jeff, I think he should start his own news station. Yeah. I... If you were asking me what the the media-related future for President Trump is most likely to be, I don't think it's a reboot of The Apprentice. I I don't think you can go back uh, again in time. It's it's not 2004 anymore. I mean, I do think it's entirely possible that you could see President Trump – aligning himself with one of the media sites. Now, I've always said this before. People think, oh, there's going to be a Donald Trump daily radio show and all. I I don't think that's the case. And, And the best way I can explain it is, it's a lot of work to do a daily radio show. I, I understand people think that you just show up and you open the microphone and you chat with people for three hours a day, and may, maybe that's how some people do it. But that's not how that's not how the hosts that, that succeed over a long period of time do it. And, and it, it is. And, and look, it's it's a job. It's a great job, but it's a job. You know, three hours a day, you are committed to being in a certain spot. I don't see, I don't see President Trump. I'm going to say having the discipline or wanting to exert the discipline to put himself in in that situation. So, you know, could I see a a Trump related news channel somewhere? And could I see it maybe featuring President Trump, you know, a couple times a week or a couple times a month? Sure. Daily shows don't think so. I don't think The Apprentice is coming back. But if you believe some of the stories that are out there, President Trump is at least considering it. And of course, You know, if in your heyday you had a show that allowed you to make, well, what, a couple hundred million dollars directly and a couple hundred million dollars indirectly, and you thought that you could reboot that franchise, eh, well, I mean, I understand why it might be tempting. Don't think it's going to happen, though. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner, so very glad to have you with us. This time of year wouldn't be the same without the WTMJ holiday show. So even though because of the pandemic we can't perform live in front of everyone this year, we're still keeping the tradition alive. Tune in this Sunday at 1 o'clock to see Gene, actually to hear Gene Miller and the WTMJ players performing a COVID Christmas carol. WTMJ's holiday radio show sponsored by Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland and Professional Construction. All right, sometime before the end of the show, we're probably going to talk about these proposals that are out there about now that the vaccines are coming out, who should get the vaccine first, who should get the vaccine last. There is a national commission which released a report Monday. Uh, It is... It is the National Commission on COVID-19 and Criminal Justice, whose members include uh, Loretta Lynch, who was the attorney general under Barack Obama or one of the attorney generals under Barack Obama. 
the group has made its recommendations as to who it thinks should get the, the vaccines first, understanding that vaccines are, are potentially life-saving, will, will stop people from getting sick, things like that. Included in their lists, they say that, okay, here, here's who we think should get priority. We think prison guards should get priority. They're essential workers in a situation and in facilities that, you know, it's likely the disease could spread. Okay, I get that. They also recommend that prison inmates should go to the top of the list in getting vaccinations. Okay, let's see. You've got a 65-year-old tax-paying citizen with some health implications. Huh, do we vaccinate that person first, or do we find the guy that's doing 20 years to life for, you know, carjacking and sexual assault? Hmm, let's balance this out. Who should get the vaccine first? This commission says, well, we think it should go to the inmates. (laughs) Okay, just when you think the world couldn't get crazier, you get stuff like this. When we come back, we often talk about the best things around the holiday season, the best this, the best that. I want to talk about the worst. I will explain. We will discuss. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. You know, we um, we talk a lot about bests. You know, the, 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 the best this, the best that, the best place to go for a fish fry, the, the best movie, the best TV show, the best sports team ever. Um we don't talk a lot about the worst, <laughs> you know, and and of course, this this is the Christmas time. You know, and if if you turn on the television, if you turn on Hallmark or Lifetime or any one of a number of channels, you're seeing one Christmas movie after another. And some of them are really good and some of them are bad. And a lot of them are just kind of, well, you know, sort of in between with that. And if you turn on the radio, you're, you're, you're hearing Christmas songs and you've been hearing Christmas songs since second. Some radio stations, I think, since the end end of October and some are really good and and some aren't now I I would if we were discussing and you were to say to me Jeff what's what's the what's the best Christmas song ever um I I guess there there would be a couple that would be up there but for me it's White Christmas I just think at White Christmas is just absolutely an incredibly beautiful song that I never get tired of hearing but I understand reasonable people can perhaps disagree with that then there's the issue of the worst Christmas song now I bring this up because I have in my hands a huge story that appeared in the Chicago Tribune today. And one of the columns, one of the columnists, starts talking about what they believe is, case closed, the worst Christmas song ever. And, and I really, I guess, at first I had to stop and think about this particular song. Is, is, is it really a Christmas song? And, and I guess it is. And secondly, you, you almost hate to do this because the performer who, who did this, you know, passed away about 13 years ago. And so, you know, it's it, it's a question of the song as opposed to the performer. But here is the song that the columnist for the Chicago Tribune is arguing is the worst Christmas song ever, Dan Fogelberg's Same Old Lang Syne. She loves 
Now, yes, it, it is a Christmas song. For, for those of you who might not be familiar with this, what, well, here's what the, the columnist writes. Dan Fogelberg, Same Old Lang Syne, the worst Christmas song in the history of Christmas songs, landed on the Billboard Hot 100 about 40 years ago. Ever since, when it comes onto the radio, usually when there is too much to do and bills are piling up, I pull over and listen closely. Traffic in such a situation would prove, be proved, prove, prove to be too much. I would uh, collide with a reindeer. I can't be responsible for my Myself when this song is on. It was issued as a single in 1980, included on Fogelberg's album The Innocent Age, was released 10 months later. It is the worst thing ever to come out of Peoria. Dan Fogelberg was from Peoria, Illinois. You know the song. It begins with a tinkle of piano and a singer's velvety whisper, reminiscing about the time he ran into an old lover in the frozen food section at the supermarket. They hug. She spills her purse on the floor. They laugh until they cry. It's Christmas Eve and they can't find an open bar so they they buy a six-pack and move to her car. They toast to innocence. They toast to now. She's unhappy in her marriage. He's unhappy with the demands of being a successful pop singer. They try to reach beyond the emptiness. They run out of beer. They kiss goodbye, and he watches her drive off. It's basically 1980, reduced to five minutes and 18 seconds. Despite being a Christmas song, the word lover and the phrase frozen foods stands uneasily close together. And it all ends with the most ennui-laced of smooth jazz sax readings of Auld Lang Syne. It is also beloved. Same old Lang Syne is the cilantro of Christmas songs. Some vomit a little in their mouths at the mere mention, and some cannot imagine holiday season without it. As of this writing, with Christmas bearing down, it has been streamed on Spotify. It has been streamed on Spotify exactly 9,397,307 times. Uh, So, yes, my dyspepsia over this holiday classic is far from a popular opinion. All right, so and then then the article goes on and on and on. I might I might, might actually kind of text it out because it's sort of funny. It goes into the history. Apparently, this story was autobiographical. That Dan Fogelberg on Christmas Eve in 1975 did in fact run into an old girlfriend in a grocery store, and they ended up drinking beer in the parking lot. But 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 I digress. The columnist's point is that this is the worst Christmas song ever, 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 and yet it's been streamed almost nine and a half million times this season. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is this the worst song, or there are a, are there are a lot worse that are out there? And if so, what would that song be? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. And, and by the way, I don't know, maybe this says something about me, but I kind of like same old Lang Syne. <laughs> I, I, maybe it's schmaltzy. I, I, I kind of like that tune. And I guess I, I wouldn't say when I think about like really bad Christmas songs, I got to tell you, this wouldn't be in my top 10. But what do you think? We discuss in just a moment. I, I, I will text this out. You can follow me on Twitter. I, I'll tweet this out. You can follow me on, tw- on Twitter at, at Jeff Wagner 620 I, I read you the first couple paragraphs of this. This thing goes on for pages and pages. This writer in the Chicago Tribune absolutely despises the Dan Fogelberg si- song, Same Old Lang Syne, which I, I said this is the worst Christmas song ever. Now, I, again, I, I mean, it takes place on Christmas Eve. I guess I didn't ever really thought of it necessarily as a Christmas song, but it does take place on Christmas Eve, and the writer can't believe that there's almost 9.5 million people that have streamed this song on Spotify. I, I candidly 
kind of like it. I mean, it's not White Christmas or anything like that, but I, I kind of like it. I like the melody. I like the tune. I think it's a little schmaltzy, but I kind of get the sentiment about this. I don't think this is close to being the worst Christmas song of all time, but what would be? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk about, uh, talk and text line. Lou in West Dallas says, the writer of that column has not heard of either Dominic the Christmas Donkey or I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas. Both are awful. Um, <laughs> all right. Let's start with uh, Todd in Brookfield. Todd, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, I, I, I've heard about the donkey. I, <laughs> I don't mind Fogelberg. But I said, your screener, as long as there's a version of I Want a Hippopotamus <laughs> with some woman singing in a falsetto baby talk, I, I, I can't use Fogelberg and worse in the same sense. I, I just... <laughs> so so you think it's hands down, it's the I, I want a hippopotamus. Oh, <laughs> that's a nauseating song, for God's sakes. Yeah, don't they? Okay, I, I, right. No, I get it. No, thanks. I, right, exactly. I mean, you know, part of the thing is, it's it's kind of like with disco. Um, I, the reason I'm bringing up disco is I was watching this thing on HBO that I recommended about the Bee Gees. It just, it's, it's actually, uh, even if you're not a Bee Gees fan, it's a fascinating thing. It's well worth your time. But it talks about how all, all these people, you know, just like hated the disco. Well, good disco wasn't bad. The problem is it just got so overexposed. And then, you know, it wasn't just like the disco dance tunes. Then you had disco duck and everybody was coming out with the, the stuff and it got overplayed. Same thing to me is true with the Christmas songs 855-616-1620 same old lang syne i I think it's i i kind of like it let's talk i forget kind of i like it bob and wawatosa bob you're on wtmj merry christmas (laughs) merry christmas to you sir two points the the old lang syne is a reworking of tchaikovsky's 1812 overture okay that's the whole basis of the song that's why it's a, a wonderful tune and i think it's pretty good but if you've ever spent any time in an Irish pub or a pub in Great Britain at Christmas time, Ballad of New York by the Pogues is the ultimate bad Christmas song because <laughs> it starts off, it was Christmas evening in the drunk tank. You cannot play that on your station, although they do it on the BBC all the time. Okay. It, so that it, is I, the I, world's worst Christmas song. Okay, I'm writing, I, I, I'm not familiar with that one. So what's it called again? I'm writing it down. What's the Ballad tune called? Ballad of New York by the Pogues. Ballad of New York. a punk Irish yeah. band. Yeah, no, I'm familiar with the Pogues. And, Ballad uh, of New Elvis York. Costello. Yeah. I got it. Okay, no, thanks for the call. No, no I, I got it. it. I will. I will check it out, <laughs> especially when you say we can't play it on our station. Ballad. It was Christmas Eve in the drunk tank. Huh. Well, it's, you, you know, it, 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 it's not Jingle Bells. 855-616-1620. Kelly in Colgate. Hi, Kelly. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, well, I was listening to Gene Miller this morning, and I think you should contact that man down in Chicago and tell him he should listen to the song Gene was talking about, Christmas Kilbasa by <laughs> the Mike Schneider Band. Okay. And, and if the music isn't bad enough, look at the video. <laughs> is that it? Yeah, well, and, and maybe part of the thing that, that it incenses the guy is that my my guess is Christmas Kilbasa hasn't been streamed on Spotify nine and a half million times. It, it probably frustrates the guy that he thinks this song is just so terrible, but everybody else likes it. I Do you, do you like Same Old Lang Syne? Do you like that tune? I do. I love Dan Fogelberg. I mean, he was a 
staple growing up in the eighties. Yeah, right. I mean, he had he had run for the right. He, I mean, you know, he. I mean, that was the late seventies, early eighties. That was his big time. He had like run for the roses and leader of the band, and you know, three or and then you know, same old Lang Syne. But you know, he. But it was maybe those tunes all sound alike. But still, I like them. You know, I still like them to this day. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And very Merry Christmas to you, Kelly. Let's talk to Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. I agree the other ones are bad, but I think the worst one of all time is Last Christmas by Wham. Because it is an earworm. The music sounds like a bad video game. <laughs> and I don't I don't think that it's even a Christmas song. Because if you listen to the words, right. I suspect that it started out as Last Valentine's Day, and they, they changed <laughs> it to Christmas because it because they had too many syllables. It could be. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for the call. It's cute. You know, it, it is. The question is, what makes something a Christmas song? You know, one of the debates that, that people have is whenever we talk about, whenever people talk about the greatest Christmas movies of all time, uh, we'll, there will be people that will come in and say, well, what it is is it Die Hard. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Now, I... I understand that this is controversial, but I don't think Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Now, I understand Die Hard. Die Hard is a movie about terrorists trying to blow up a building and, and get away with a whole bunch of money. And it's an action flick. Now, I get that it, it's set over Christmas time and there's a Christmas party. But just because that's the scenario doesn't, to me, make it a Christmas movie. And I think I see. I would argue, same old Lang Syne, just because it's set on Christmas Eve doesn't necessarily make it a Christmas song like White Christmas. Christmas or All I Want for Christmas or whatever. But but nonetheless, I mean, I like Die Hard, whether it's a Christmas movie or not. And I like uh, same old Lang Syne. Jim in Bayview. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Jeff. I would say the song that's um, Grandma Got Ran Over, over by, by a Reindeer. reindeer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's just kind of this. You know that one? Oh, I do, I do. Yeah, that's kind of like a. I guess. I mean, thanks to I guess to me, that's sort of like a novelty thing, and it's um, you know there, there's some of those like novelty songs that are out there, and you either like them or not, but they're really not intended to be you know serious or Christmas. So it's just it's kind of a okay. This is just it's a it's a silly one that's out there, kind of like the song we play every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, or right before the start of deer hunting season about the you know the deer camp song and all all the stuff by the old Happy Schnapps combo and things like that. Let's talk to Mary in Gray's Lake. Hi, Mary. Hello. Happy Friday. Same to you. Merry Christmas. Okay. Um, worst, Merry Christmas. Chris, worst Christmas song ever? Okay, I might get booze on this one, but it's Paul McCartney's Wonderful Christmas Time. <laughs> Whenever I hear that on the radio, my kids know this by now, too. I have to turn it off. It, it, and then it's in my head the rest of the day. <laughs> I, well, it, you know, it's funny that you should mention that, Mary, because I have, I would say, at least at least a half dozen texts from people who are saying the same thing. You know, and I, I guess, I mean, how, how can Paul McCartney be the worst at anything? But you just can't stand that wonderful Christmas time. <laughs> I know. It's almost like, right, to even say that in the same phrase as he is. Uh, but it is, it's really the song that I'm like, oh, man, 
uh, and, and then stop. I can't get out of my head the rest of the day. Well, see that. I mean, um, thank, no, thanks. That that's the worst thing. It, it the, the worst thing is it, it's like it's the earworms that are out there. And once you just said earworms, three different songs just popped into my head, and so I've got to kind of move on, or else I'm going to be dwelling with them. Um, let's see. Let's get a couple texts. Um, Jeff, I don't know about the worst, but one of my favorites is Rusty Chevrolet by the Youpers. Um, Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Adam Sandler's Hanukkah song. It's like nails on a chalkboard to me, although I recognize a lot of people will disagree. Yep, Dominic and the Hippo songs are my top choices for bad. Grandma got run over by a reindeer is up there as well. Uh, Let's see. uh, Jeff, I cannot stand the song Santa Baby. Every time I hear it, I want to stab my own ears. Dominic and the Donkeys is the worst Christmas song ever. Um, the Dan Fogelberg song, I love that song. It speaks of sentiment and memories. Isn't that part of Christmas? Uh, Jeff, I'm a Fogelberg fan, and I consider it more just one of his songs than an actual Christmas song. To me, worst Christmas song ever is Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Auld Lang Syne is a lot better than I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas or Grandma Got Run run Over by a Reindeer. Okay, now here's one that would be really controversial, and I disagree. The Charlie Brown song is terrible. Now, see, I, I, I think... That that's that's classic. That uh, that Jordan, you know that that Charlie Brown. Who can hate, who can not like the Charlie Brown song? You referring to the Christmas time is here. Yeah, right. I don't like that song. You don't I'm like with it the either. Texter. It's just so chilling. It's like you know, kids' voices sounding. I don't know, just all in unison. I, I'm not a big fan. You've been working with Scafidi too long. That's that's just the, <laughs> that's, just the, that's that's kind of the bottom line of that. Yeah, but that's that's the one that they're out there. Um, the worst Christmas songs of all time. Rocking around. The the Christmas tree or um, Santa's beard by the Beach Boys. I'm not even sure I've ever heard that particular one. Uh, Jeff, how about the barking dogs doing jingle bells? Yeah, that that's a that's a bad one. And um, the Bruce Spring. I look. I I'm a Bruce Springsteen fan. Less so because he's just gotten so politically kooky and, and preachy. But his the, the Bruce Springsteen, Jordan, what's his Christmas one? It's um Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming I don't like to that town song either. by Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, that's um you know, I like the tune Santa Claus is coming to town. Bruce should stick with um I don't know, some of the other tunes that stick with Darlington County and stick with, you know, some of the other tunes. Um he's probably better off with that. Okay, lots of stuff coming up on the program. And if I have put the same old Lang Syne earworm in your ear for the weekend, sorry. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Only a hippopotamus will do. Okay. Now, there is no way that Stan Fogelberg's same old Lang Syne, regardless of whether or not it's a Christmas song, there's no way that same old Lang Syne is a worse song than that. They're 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 not in the same league. They're they're not even in the same discussion. But there you go. Do you know what? This is a pretty sketchy song. It is a pretty sketchy, sketchy song. song. Sketchy as far sketchy as... Sketchy as in, in a way, it just doesn't sound right. Sketchy. Okay. Well, <laughs> well meaning that... I mean, who wants a hippopotamus for Christmas? Well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, but who wants to see Grandma get run over by a reindeer either? You know? <laughs> I mean, it's just... It's sort of one of those things. Now, I'll stick with same old Lang Syne.
All right, we're stirring up controversy. Jordan, here's the challenge. Just got a text. I got an email. I just heard one listener trash my Christmas Kilbasa song. I'm hearing from the, the guy that did Christmas Kilbasa. Bummer, you should play it. Help support a local musician who's been impacted by COVID. Thanks again. Have a great Friday. All right, we got to track that down. Miller must have had it. So Christmas Kilbasa, we will we'll put it up there. All right, we'll, we'll try to, we will try to find it before the end of the show. So Mike... Keep listening. <laughs> and again, I just I sent out the uh, I sent out the tweet about with the link to this story in the Chicago Tribune. And the thing that really struck me about it, to tell you the honest goodness truth, is it goes on and on and on. I mean, the, the guy is just obsessed with how much he hates this particular song. And I guess I just never, regardless of whether you think about "Same Old Lang Syne" as a Christmas song or not, it's kind of like, jeez, ah, I did it inspires this type of reaction from people you know you know i run into that a lot as as a jimmy buffett fan and and people either love or hate margaritaville and the thing see buffett has hundreds and hundreds of songs and actually margaritaville was the one that went to number one and kind of gave him his degree of fame and made him a whole bunch of money but i i think you know to me margaritaville is really one of his lesser songs but it's the one that he's known for but uh you know but but still people love that or hate it okay here is the deal the vaccines are starting to be rolled out and the decision right now is who gets vaccinated and and when who gets vaccinated first we've already decided that frontline healthcare workers and People who are living in nursing homes, you know, people who are are older and they're confined in nursing homes, that's going to be the first two groups of people that get the vaccine. And as a split off of that, a subset of that, the the workers, even if they're not frontline healthcare workers, workers who are working in the nursing homes, they're, they're going to get it. So I think that's pretty much where we are. So the question becomes, where do you go after that? There's a real interesting opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal today that kind of caught my attention. And, you know, here's here's what it it says. It says, look, if we want to if we want to stop the the lockdowns, if we want to get control of the virus in the next 30 days, this is what we need to do. And let me read you a portion of this and then we're going to discuss with vaccines being administered. Um, thanks to Operation Warp Speed, Americans will have enough doses to inoculate 20 million people in December and 30 million more in January. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention has rightly put nursing home residents first in line. 38% of U.S. COVID deaths are connected to these settings. Frontline medical personnel will also receive priority. Those who care for the elderly should receive special priority as well. So should people under 65 who are at severely elevated risk of mortality from COVID-19 infection due to severe chronic disease. So what they're saying is, look, let's nursing home people, people work in nursing homes, frontline health care providers and people under 65 who are severely elevated risk because of health problems. All right. Then it goes on to say here, here is here is the deal. First of all, people that have had it already and recovered, they they should be at the back of the line. They've got natural immunity from this. They shouldn't get it. At least they shouldn't get it ahead of anybody else. Secondly, says children. 
children should go to the back of the line because, first of all, a lot of these vaccines haven't been tested on children yet. That's not been where the emphasis is. And secondly, if you look at the number of kids that get it, it's almost non-existent. So what they say then is some 50 million people in the U.S. are over 65. Um, the number of vaccine doses expected to be available over the next two months will be enough to vaccinate every elderly person. I think people who are 65 don't consider themselves to be elderly, but we'll let that go. Okay, there's enough vaccine over the next two months to vaccinate every elderly person who wants to be inoculated, as well as healthcare workers and other vulnerable people. With a 90% plus efficacy rate in protecting against COVID-19 symptoms, we will increase near uh, perfect focused protection. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think that plan makes sense. I think from after you get the people in the nursing homes, after you get the frontline medical personnel out of the way, then what you do is you look at the people who are under the age of 65, but particularly at risk because of some sort of chronic condition. And then then you start inoculating people over the age of 65, and that pretty much goes a long way towards solving the main problem of people who get it, who get sick, and end up you know, having to be hospitalized. Now, I understand there's people in the 30s or 40s who, who can be hospitalized if they get it, and they can have a bad reaction. But statistically, you, it seems to me you put your money where the greatest likelihood of a problem is, and for people who've already had it, and I'm not encouraging people who've had it to not get the vaccine. Matter of fact, I think doctors would tell you that you would. But if you're a 50-year-old who's gotten this, recovered from it, I think you go to the back of the line. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does it make sense, once you go through the high-risk people, to then start prioritizing with people over the age of 65 at the front of the line? To me, that is how you do it. And plus, given the fact that most, not all, but most people over the age of 65 are already registered with the government. They're, they're on Medicare or they've signed up for Medicare Part A, so you can track them down. You know who these people are. I think it's a no-brainer that you start there. 855-616-1620, where do we start? What's the priority? And if we do it right, can we essentially end lockdowns and concerns about this stuff within 30 to 60 days? We discuss. <laughs> Yeah, this piece in the Wall Street Journal just makes a lot of sense to me. We've got we've got a limited amount of vaccines for the moment. The, the estimate is, but by, by summer, I, I think everybody who wants a vaccine to be vaccinated can can get it. But the question is, what what do we do now? How do we prioritize stuff to make sure that we can open up things? And again, after you get past the people in nursing homes, the people who work in nursing homes, and the frontline healthcare providers, to me, it, it, it's simple and it's straightforward. You, you find people under 65 who have significant health issues for whom if they got COVID, it would be you know, a really bad result. So the unhealthy people under 65, and then you start a mass program to inoculate people 65 and older. And, and then 
then you start working down. And by the way, I would put, even at the age of 65 or older, I would people put people who've had it and who've recovered, I'd put them at the back of the line because they've got, they've got a natural immunity. Now, they don't know whether it's going to last three months or six months or eight months or two years. We don't know that exactly, but we know they've got a degree of natural immunity. I would say start with people 65 and older and then start to work your way down. 855-616-1620. John in Oconomowoc. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, yes, Jeff. I like the whole plan, except for the under 65 people that have chronic problems. Uh-huh. I think anybody that has chronic problems, if they're over 65 or under 65, should be in that same group. Because if you're over 65, yeah. your chronic problem is probably worse than someone under 65, so they should all be in the same group. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I guess I don't... I, I, I think that's kind of what was sort of implied by that. It's the, it's the people with the chronic health problems go next, regardless of age. And then what happens is then when you're looking at the next large group that's out there, then you start with the people that are over the age of 65. I, I think that's kind of the, the implication there. Yeah, I, I'm not saying a 30-year-old with a chronic health problem should should get the vaccine ahead of a 70-year-old with a chronic health problem. You take the people with the chronic health problems, you deal with that, but then when you're starting with groups, you start with the, the 65 and older, and then you kind of work your way down, coming to the people who've recovered and the people, the, the, the kids, the children, you, you deal with them last, in part because children are, are statistically least susceptible to this. And I understand there's kids that have gotten it. I, I get that. But least susceptible to this and least susceptible to really bad results, according to the, the statistics. Plus, the vaccines right now, to my knowledge, really haven't been tested on children. That hasn't been what the priority is. 855-616-1620. Um, Jeff, absolutely. This is the quickest and most effective ways to flatten the curve, thereby um, negating the justification for the lockdowns. Um, Jeff, I think teachers need to be at the top of the list, too. They have to follow the ER personnel, get the kids back in school today. Um, Jeff, push the white-collar workers who can work remotely and don't fit in a high-risk category to the back of the line. Let those who work close to others get protection and allow them to get back to work. 855-616-1620. Johnny in Montello, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, listen, uh, first I want to say hats off to uh, UPS and United Parcel for getting the vaccines through the north, northeastern, uh, nor'easter that, that hit yeah, yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. Or uh, two days ago. Uh, I, I got a call from my sister last night. She's a physical therapist in, in uh, Massachusetts, and she, you know, I, obviously she's with patients uh, all the time uh, on a daily basis. Um, she, yes, yeah, she, 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 she gave me a call and said, uh, I'm on my way to get vaccinated. And uh, I said, well, well, great, you know, uh, fantastic. And so, you know, I'll call her tonight and see if you know, she's having any, uh, you know, side effects or anything like that. But, yeah, certainly frontline workers um, in the hospitals, in the nursing homes, um, and the elderly in nursing homes, uh, mm-hmm. those over 65 that are infirm, they, they should get it first. And, you know, I, I'm 56, Jeff, and I, I care for my father around the clock. And I really don't leave the house. Uh, you know, maybe I go to town once a week to buy groceries, but I, I think I would give my vaccine up for someone that that really kind of needs it. I, I know we've heard there's a shortage, so right. um, you know, I, I'm just we're just sequestered here, and um, you know, I, I'm not too worried about myself because I'm not around other people. 
but well, um, no, I mean, I think I mean, yeah, see, I agree. Definitely. I mean, see, I, I, you know, Johnny, I mean, I don't think there's any argument that that the, the frontline workers, the people in, in healthcare, they're they're the ones who have to get it first, and and the people who are nursing homes because they're the most vulnerable, and the people who are going in and going out of nursing homes because they're around the people that are most vulnerable. But then you get into, I mean, it, it is kind of a debate there. Do you take the thirty-year-old uh, woman? Who's the cashier in the the pick and save or the Sendex or, or whatever? Who's been you know essential workers been working through this or the the guy that's stocking shelves um, at the age of thirty um, who is a, clearly an essential worker? Do you put those people ahead of say the the sixty five or the seventy or the seventy five year old person who's not in a nursing home? Um, but you know, it's not out and about as much, and that's where the balancing comes in. My argument would be that you you put the older people first, the ones who haven't had COVID. Again, I, the ones who've had and recovered, I, I I push them into a second category. But you put the older people first because, again, statistics. And I understand that you know, I, I understand a thirty year old can get it can die and can die, and a seventy five year old can get it and have mild symptoms and recover. I, so I, I understand all that. But if you just look at the numbers and that's what you have to do you have to base it on a statistical thing if you do that the the fact of the matter is that the 75 year old who would get it would be much more likely statistically to be hospitalized and have an adverse reaction than the 30 year old checker at at the grocery store so you don't want anybody to get it but yeah because we're trying to keep people out of hospitals we're trying to flatten the curve we're trying not to overwhelm the healthcare system my priority would be on on people who are older dawn in elkhorn dawn you're on wtmj good afternoon hi thank you for taking call Jeff. Hi, dawn. i just wanted to speak to you because i am on week three since covid diagnosis we got it the day after thanksgiving me and my husband we just both returned to work and i i'm with you when you're saying frontline first responders first then the elderly my mother said i'm 56 Wait, I'm 58 years old. Oops. I'm 58 years old. I can't <laughs> imagine my 70 year Time just all f- uh, runs together, doesn't it, after a while? <laughs> it does. Yeah. But my mom's 74, and she has uh, emphysema. I can't imagine her going through what I did, which was four days, 22 hours a day, sleeping, mm-hmm. high fever, headaches, and, and not eating for six days. Can't. I have not drank coffee since Thanksgiving because of lovely COVID, but I know that the elderly, I could just imagine yeah. they'd overwhelm the hospital. Well, right. It, 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 it's it difficult is. on anybody. And like I was saying, you, you don't want yeah. the 35-year-old guy that's stocking shelves at the grocery store to get it, but that he, he he's more likely statistically to recover than you're saying, like your 70-year-old you know, mom. It, it just it makes sense. To me, this right. just makes sense. Let me ask you, did you lose? Right. I did agree you, with you. Did you lose your your sense of taste and smell? I did for six days, and then when it came back, coffee smells like ammonia to me, and bread smells like toxic chemicals. Oh, really? Wow! The weirdest thing. Well, you know, it's very strange. It's I I just I can't imagine what that's like. I I have um, 
Well, for example, my 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 late wife, you know, when she was going through chemotherapy, that one one of the big complaints she had is the chemotherapy took away her sense of taste, and and you it was very difficult. They have a problem with that with like cancer patients because you lose your sense of taste and you just don't want to eat anything because everything. It, it just doesn't taste like anything. Right. It ta- she Sue used to kept saying it, it tastes like mush, and you say, "Well, you have to eat," and you know, and, and they understand that. But so that that kind of happened to you. You just couldn't taste anything, huh? I was just going to say, I'm a 16 year ovarian cancer survivor, and when I was going through chemo, I couldn't stand Chinese food. The mixture of yeah. smells made me nauseous. Yeah. So, yeah, I kind of have a, a take on that, I guess. But um, <laughs> okay. exactly, it's it's the weirdest experience I've ever been through. Um, we're still recovering. We're you know, the, it really affects your lungs greatly, mm-hmm. and and that's a scary part, I guess. Well, you know, you probably Don, you probably know as, as do I. You know, I, I know people all across. I, I know people who had it, who were hospitalized for a few days. I, I don't know anybody, yep. thankfully, who, who who died as a result of this. But I know other people, including people in their sixties and seventies, who had it, and it was nothing. You know, it was, I was kind of tired for a day, and I had a little bit of an ache, and I had a, a fever for a night, and a little bit of a cough. But you know, three days later, they were recovered. It's just, it's wild to me how this hits wow. different people differently. I would encourage everyone listening to me, um, not that I'm a doctor or anything, but get a pulse ox to keep in your house. That saved me an ER admission because my pulse ox, it was 88, 84, 86 for three days. Mm -hmm. And my doctor, I would report every day to them and said, if it stays that way, the fourth day you have to come in because your lungs aren't functioning. And it, it went up on the fourth day. But we have a family friend who at 49, Two weeks, he was on the upswing, and then uh, the third week, they found him dead in his home. His Mm. lungs weren't functioning. He wasn't aware. Some people are shallow breathers and don't realize they are shallow breathers. And so then when they're hit with COVID, they're in a lot of trouble. So get a pulse box. It's 20 bucks right now. They're not gouging us for it at the store. You know, get it and have it in your home. It takes your heart rate, and it takes your your oxygen in your blood. Good enough. Don't thank you. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, Dawn, thanks for the call. I'm glad you're I'm glad you're getting better. So ways to go sounds Thank like, you. but you're getting better. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I appreciate the perspective. Uh, we, look, but bottom line is there is light at the end of the tunnel. I, I think that's clear. We just have to figure out how to get there. And by saying that, I'm not encouraging people to be irresponsible over the course of the next couple months. I'm just saying that if we do this smart, maybe, just maybe by the spring, we're going to be able to get back to some real sense of normalcy. This is Jeff Wagner.